another 2-2 pitch on the way to Espinal as he tries to get aboard any way he can and he will not good slider down and away by Hendricks as he picks up the save and the White Sox take two out of three from the Blue Jays in this series they beat the Jays tonight by a final score of five to two out to Durant Durant one dribble fires it up oh back of the rim jubilation here in Milwaukee the Bucks are right back in the series and that is empty Grubauer's on the bench extra attacker up for Colorado zone is checked Petrangelo got it for Martinez, shot for the empty net, and that one missed. Another attempt, Pacioretty scores! The Vegas Golden Knights are going to the Stanley Cup semifinals. So Hugh Burrow's been off all week, Ziggy, as we know, and wonder if he ended up in the... Uh, ER last night. What's that? What's that one commercial? Call the doctor if it lasts more than four hours. I mean, he's got yeah, maybe he's got Lace Habitat and he's got the Golden Knights, his two teams playing each other in the Stanley Cup semifinals. Hugh Burrell will have maybe a team in the Cup final. Maybe he's down in. Maybe he was at the game. How do we not not know he's down there? No one's heard from him. We no sightings. No, we haven't heard from him. Like, what's going on? There's been like, a couple of Hugh Burrell appearances in the group chat. So, but we don't know. Really, we not don't, I mean, solicited. We don't know. We, could we don't be, know where he could is. Could be down there. Yeah, you can. I mean, if you really want to get south of the border, you can get down there. It's just tough to get back <laughs> and good quarantine. <laughs> it's tough coming back uh, from from what I've heard. So. But in the U.S., I'm pretty sure you can. I I think you can just board a flight and fly down there right now. Like I don't think you need. I don't think you have to quarantine I, well, watching those those games <laughs> and watching like. I somebody sent me a video from Fenway Park yesterday. There, it's just like I I'm wondering what planet I like. Am I on a different planet? Well, right earlier now? this week, right, the Blue Jays hit their 85 percent vaccination threshold. So the next night the opener in Chicago on Tuesday, none of the coaches had masks on, right? Because the protocols ease mm. once you hit 85% fully vaxxed. Like, oh, that's what Charlie Montoyo and Pete Walker look like. And and then right behind them, in the seats behind the dugout, there's rows and rows and rows of White Sox fans. It's, it, it's, it's so weird. It's like we're living in an alternate universe up here. Still. So hold on a second. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Coaches wearing masks. So please, I need you to take a screenshot of a coach in any professional league that you have seen wear their mask on a bench. Properly? Properly so far (laughs) since we returned to play. The best is when they typically pull it down to yell at somebody. So when they're most mad or most trying to make... That's when the saliva is just spraying everywhere. I've been hit so many times. Let me tell you, I've been on a bench when a coach is yelling at you. It's just like you have to wipe your visor off after it can be that bad. But I don't know how many coaches are actually wearing their mask the right way. I think it's the... I, I think the more years that you've coached, the older you are, it's like the further down it is on your face. Like if you're somewhat two to four or five years, it you'll pull it off to talk. It'll go back. You maybe take a drink of water and you readjust it. 
once you get five to 10 years, it will like might be on, might be off. Like you don't know. I give it 50, 50 when you're over 10 years, the nose is exposed for sure. Look at any 10 year coach. The nose is right out of it. <laughs> They're just, and I don't know whether it's, they don't know that it's not on or they just don't care. And those N95s, those, those cover your face. Like they look like duck bills. So yeah, you're right though. Like Sheldon Keefe was pretty good about wearing his, but he'd, he'd occasionally pull it down and, and have a word. Dominic Ducharme, same thing. But I've seen some skippers in baseball too. It's, it's pulled down beneath the nose and it's a look, man. It's it. But it was so weird the other night seeing all the Jays coaches with without masks in the dugout. It's it's just I don't know. It, and we're well, still and then, we're still at this point up here where we're waiting. I think we're going to get there much sooner rather than later, and we just got to be patient. But it is like we're living in an alternate universe. Yeah, and there and I've had a couple people message me and say, "Well, why is it eighty five percent? Why is it at hundred? And from what I've heard is is not every not every NHL player is going to want to take it. Like I, I'm sure it's the same across all sports and in baseball, basketball, there are some guys that aren't going to take the vaccines from, from what I'm hearing. It's a small percentage, but I mean, I, I'm a little shocked being around a team like that in a work environment where you're in a room together, you're in a plane, you're on a bus. Like I, I find it difficult to think that a mask would be that effective. Like, obviously it's worked to some extent. Cause I mean, some of the spreads that we've had haven't been crazy, right? Like every time a guy's gone down with COVID, it hasn't spread across 15 or 20 players. We've had the odd case of that in different leagues, but yeah, I am. I'm, I, I, I understand it's hey free choice. You do what you want, but I, I it's hard to believe that some guys wouldn't take it just being in the room. I know, I know what it's like. And if a guy gets sick, like if a guy has a flu or something, usually they're sent home right away. They don't want you hanging around in the lounge, in the hallway. They don't even want you in the parking lot. It's like, get out of here. So, um, I, I feel like we're, we're kind of nearing the end. No, like, does that not feel like, yeah, it? I think, like, I think is- we are, I think we are. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I have, I have one of the vaccines and I'm booked for my second in September. I, I think we're all hoping that that moves up, but I'm certainly not playing a game of jump in a queue or anything. I'll, I'll keep my, I'll keep my appointment unless I'm notified that I can go sooner. And, and so whether it's next week or next month or a few months from now, I, I prefer to look at the United States as a beacon at this point, I'm trying to maintain positivity that we can safely get back to the things that we used to enjoy doing in the not too distant future. We've got to stay responsible now, but things will be hopefully back to normal in the not too distant future. How about Rick and Mimico this morning? The two stripper capitals of North America facing each other in the semis, the 2021 playoffs truly have it all. <laughs> Montreal. Oh, well, that's Okay. He's a diehard yeah, Columbus not, fan. I'm eh? not. <laughs> You're, no, no comment, Shea Paris. <laughs> no comment. Uh, I'm, I'm not up to speed. I apologize. I, I could do the terrible journalistic thing right now and say, have you ever been to Shea well, uh, Paris? 
Well, uh, who is that? Garrett Cole? It's not against the law. <laughs> not against the law. Well, neither is neither is the neither is the sticky tack on your on the baseball. <laughs> oh, I thought you were referencing Cole there. Sorry. The, the sticky <laughs> the sticky tack is is a a potential performance enhancer for for pitchers. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if staggering out of Chapery at three thirty in the morning, the morning before a game, is a is a performance enhancer. I I, honest, I haven't been. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I know you're trying to ask. Me. I don't. Like, I don't even. I haven't even. I was it bad. I even even heard of it. The, I don't know. Is that weird? Is that strange? No, yeah. you've heard okay. of it. Chapery. Chapery. Yeah. I mean. Montreal. Yeah. That's that's the place. That's <laughs> okay. the place. That's that's the I'm place. Glad I know. Hold on, let me just mark that one down on my book here. So we second. so we've got Vegas, Montreal. We've got Tampa Bay and the Islanders. Tampa Bay and the Islanders is a rematch of the semifinals from last year, which Tampa Bay won in six games. A couple of, go, of those games went to overtime for the Habs. It's a it's a deep run. Vegas is now one round away from a return to the Stanley Cup final, which, of course, they reached in their inaugural season, losing to Washington back in in 2018. And there is disappointment this morning in Colorado. Here is, I would think, inarguably, one of the game's top three players, arguably the game's second-best player, Nathan McKinnon, nearly a decade into his career and realizing it. It's always next year. It's all we talk about. I feel like, I mean, I'm going in my ninth year next year and I haven't won shit, so I'm just definitely motivated and I'm just, yeah, it just sucks, you know, losing four in a row to a team. And, you know, it felt like last year was our first real chance to win. And this year I thought we were the best team in the league. We, for whatever reason, we just couldn't, couldn't get it together. And I'm sure in training camp next year, we'll figure it out and dissect things and come back better. So I think if you look at the series, Zig, game one was a throwaway for Vegas having come off the seven-game tilt with Minnesota and Colorado had been well-rested and Robin Leonard started instead of Flurry. Colorado smoked them seven to one. Then in game two, Colorado at home wins in overtime, but Vegas arguably carried the play. And then Vegas goes home and wins the two games. Now we got a two games, uh, two-two series heading into the best of three back in Colorado. I think you could argue that the Avs had the slight edge in play in game five, but Vegas got the W and, and did so in come from behind fashion winning in overtime on the Mark stone goal. And then last night, Mark Andre Fleury was very, very good. Vegas puts them away and Colorado's left to shrug. And the one guy I'm thinking of is Nazem Kadri for the third time in the last four years, he is sitting up in the press box, serving a suspension while his hockey team is facing elimination and gets run from the playoffs. Well, I'll start first with the Avalanche getting up to nothing. Yeah, I, I'm with you. That first game pretty much conceded by Vegas coming off a tough seven game series against the Wild. So I really see this as Vegas winning in five for me. That's kind of the way I looked at it when they were down to nothing though. I don't know one person that said Vegas could come back from it. They said Vegas may make a series of it. I heard majority of people say this is going to be a sweep because Colorado was just that dominant during the regular season. Listen, Vegas now, what is it? Three or four years have gone on to the final four. They got on to the, 
you know, conference finals. They have a good mix of players and it, it, they've had guys come in in the organization and they've made changes. They've added, but the culture has kind of always stayed the same. And that says a lot for a group that's only been together for a couple years. How long does it take the Leafs to, 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 to get to where they got this year? I know they didn't win, but how much better of a team did the Leafs have this year than prior years? Um, I think a lot. I think the culture has really changed in Toronto. So it takes time, right? Vegas just seems, you know, a collection of players. Most teams didn't want. Some teams made side deals to keep who they wanted of their nucleus, of their team, of the roster. And Vegas really exploited the the French, the, the expansion draft. And they went after defensemen, right? And I'm sure Seattle is going to do the same thing. The Golden Knights, they... They play a different style of game. It's uh, last night. It was four lines that be, that that beat the Avalanche. Usually, I told you it's top nine. Vegas does it better than anyone. Uh, Flurry was excellent. He made some big stops. I thought a couple got deflected. Couldn't really see much. Grubauer for the Avalanche. I didn't like the first one. I don't know what he was tracking the puck in the corner. That just can't happen. Um, that can't happen in a game six in the playoffs. We we've talked about it in every single series this this year in, in 2021. Well, your goaltender can be good, but you can't let in that odd goal where you don't see the puck from the point. Like the shot from Holden, I, I it was it was a great play getting the puck to the net, but I he was trying to follow the cycle in the corner. Um, the one timer Carlson, like I didn't even get a lot on it. I, I thought he should have got over for that. Grubauer has been really good for the Avalanche, um, but. If you get if you allow that odd goal in, in a deciding game, it only takes one. Game seven against the Leafs, Habs, get the Gallagher shot, like great shot, shooting in stride, but can't go in, and that really can change the look of a game. It let me tell you, it went back and forth. I get that. Um, you know, Colorado comes out right away, and I'll mention McKinnon quickly. He had a lot of people to answer to for for this, you know, for this series and how he. Couldn't put any points on the board, and Vegas really did a good job of neutralizing him. But well, you know shift, what Vegas, you know, what, you know what Vegas did from Game Three in particular onward. They stayed out of the penalty box. Yeah. And Colorado had one power play opportunity last night, and you know what they did with it? They scored on it, and that has been a big part of Colorado's bread and butter all season long. And then once Vegas either stopped taking penalties or the marginal plays were not called Colorado wasn't able to wheel and deal with the man advantage. And I, I think mm-hmm. that, I think that the way that the series ended up being called Vegas becoming more disciplined as it went on, I think that was a huge factor here. And yeah. I, I also believe Ziggy that not having Kadri like is Nazem Kadri the difference between beating Vegas and not beating Vegas. I don't know the answer to that question. What I do know is that you are not as good a team if you happen to have Nazem Kadri on it, if he's wearing a suit in the press box, as compared to if he's actually skating and playing 17, 19 minutes for you. And this has now become a, well, it was a trend in Toronto when it happened in back-to-back springs, the losses to Boston. He's been suspended for his team's elimination game in three of the last four years. You, You can't tell me that this is ever going to happen to him again. And yet I would have said the same thing to you 
after it happened the second time with the Leafs. And I probably would have said the same thing to you after the first time it happened with the Leafs. He has got to do a better job of staying on the ice and being able to be a participant in the bloody playoffs. Yeah, it's a big, he's a big loss for a team. And what he's done with the avalanche. Yeah. And and you can say, well, was he the reason, you know, some of the collapses with the, with the Leafs, like, was he the reason they lost? Like, I don't think you can pin the losses in Toronto against Boston on, on Kadri. I I'm not there. It's not, I'm not, it's not there for me. I don't put it on him. They're but a better team say, with him than without him though. Yes. He, he makes your team better. And when you have one of your top guys out of the lineup, it changes everything, right? Like Ziggy, there was it a- changes the flow of a game. It, it's it's now a guy that plays on the wing has to come to the center. Like there's so many other different moving parts. Now you have a guy that's not even supposed to be in the lineup. Right, there was a turtleneck floating around the ice for far too many shifts. Thomas Placanitz, because Kadri went mm-hmm. out, right? There was yeah. a turtleneck doing nothing. Yeah, and I think he'll. I think he'll. I mean, you, you always say, "Well, when's he going to learn?" And the third time, he, you know what? I'd rather a guy like Kadri play like that than a guy that just doesn't show up. Like, like, would you rather someone that when the when the Leafs get knocked out and you come on the following week saying, "Well, this player just didn't show up. He was a ghost out there." Would you rather that, or would you rather Kadri who goes one hundred and ten percent? And crosses the line sometimes and has been suspended for it. Like, that's really the question. Okay, but you're, you're I, I think you should pose. But someone. you're offering me the two extremes, mm-hmm. right? Like, th- there's a whole lot of gray area there. It, it shouldn't and doesn't have to be black and white. I, I, I want to believe that Nazem Kadri is able to be an effective player playing within the rules. Right, I want to believe that he can walk that line, straddle that line, pull back when he needs to, not throw that shoulder into the guy's head in that crucial moment without taking away from the rest of his game. But if you've got somebody who doesn't show up for a playoff series, and I know that we've thrown some names around in Leafland after the loss to Montreal and, and Mitch Marner's name was at the top of the list, would you rather have Marner doing nothing or a guy like Kadri who's who's ripping around and might get himself into some trouble, but you're not worried what he's bringing each and every night? Well, the, the difference, Ziggy, is there's always a possibility that a guy like Mitch Marner, if the series goes on long enough, might find it. There's absolutely no way Nazem Kadri can contribute to what you're trying to accomplish on the ice when he's wearing a suit and eating popcorn four four sections four decks higher in the arena right yeah i i just i i i feel bad i feel bad for the avalanche just it's such a good season right and um, i don't know we talked about it a lot in toronto when kadri got injured i'm i'm gonna keep an eye on what's going on in denver and i'll let you i'll i'll keep you posted just to see what's said today i'll i'll do a little bit of a deeper dive i usually don't I usually don't read too many media posts from other teams and listen to the way they break down their team, but I'll do deeper dive this week. I'll see what's said about the Cadger thing. Cause I, I haven't read much. Like I've read the, uh, the odd article where it's kind of referenced, but 
they don't blame Kadri. Like, well, and the thing he is, he got roasted in Toronto, like, right? But they, well, we pin, we pinned it on him. Yeah, but like, the thing is, on. well, the thing is, is that it happened so long ago. I mean, they swept St. Louis. St. Louis was the first team to go out. It feels like an eternity ago that he put his shoulder into Justin Falk's face. So and he it's was so he wasn't at all a factor in this series. What I'm saying is, is that when you when you have arguably the two best teams in hockey, throw Tampa Bay in there wherever you want, but Colorado and Vegas, one of the two arguably best teams was going out in the second round. To not have Kadri available to you makes you weaker. Yeah, but like but but does so I said that Vegas will go the whole way and they're my pick to win it all. Does Kadri change it for me? Does he does he get this to a game seven for me? Is it, like if Kadri was in the lineup, would that would the Avalanche beat Vegas? I mean, that's really the question at the end of the day, and I'm not so sure. Listen, I I I played in the minors with with Kadri when he first got to the pro level. I know how good he is. I know how bad he wants it. I know how his work ethic. He can do anything you ask him on the ice. He's a great teammate, good guy in the room. I'm not. I'm not sure he moves the needle for me on the Vegas Colorado. Like I, there's just something about the Vegas lineup and the mix they have that I think is tough to beat. Like I, I picture myself on the ice in those situations and Vegas is a scary team and they've been a scary team for four years now. And now they're going to the final four, three, three of the four. It's just, it's a good mix of, it's a good mix of talent. And it's three lines at all times that beat you. And look at the teams that are out of the playoffs right now. Who doesn't have three lines? Three lines that can score. And I've talked about that from Top day nine, one baby. of the playoffs. Top nine. Yeah. Yeah. But how, who, who goes out in four? Who's gone out in four in the North? Like, it's tough to do with one or two players. Pretend when we run this clip that I'm Adrian Dater, long time on the Avalanche beat, and you're Nathan McKinnon. Here is the question and answer between Adrian Dater and Nathan McKinnon after last night's game. Uh, Nate, you know, I know you're a gamer and uh, and all this, and, uh, you know, I'm just thinking maybe out loud as far as in your shoes right now. It's like, all right, we've done all the things we can do. We've done all the game planning we can do. Maybe, maybe you know, just f- We'll just go in next year and just not think that anymore and just win this thing when we don't think so much. Is that, am I on the right path at all with this? Like maybe just guys think a little too much. No. Thanks. Last one here for Nathan. Inspector Sportsnet. A part of what you needed to see was the look on McKinnon's face. <laughs> I kind of didn't mind the question though. Like I'm just like, you know what? It's a brutal question. But I didn't mind it. It's like you know what, guys? Like it's an awful question. I but that, it, like that's the worthy cliche of, a pass. of it, right? Like the cliche of it is, you got eighty-two games. Sometimes you overthink things when your confidence is low. Sometimes it's a breeze because you're on a seven-game winning streak and you got fourteen points in the last seven games. You're ripping along. You're feeling good. Like there are ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys all season long. I don't really know what F it stopped thinking <laughs> at all for a seven-month period. That's how. Even that's means. how. What does that's it mean? how hard. That's how hard it is to win when you can't even ask a question about what you need to do or what, you know, if you can't even explain how hard it is to win, like that's exactly it. I'm so happy that question got asked because that's, it's so brutal. The position that the avalanche are in and it's like, oh, next year. Oh, just don't think like 
everybody has these like, oh, how about you just put a song on and play a different song before the game? Like, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, media. Like, what do you think we're doing in here? Like, do you think we just show up at the rink five minutes before? Like, oh, yeah, really thinking about this one. Yeah, we won the president's trophy, you know, but we have to do this and that. Like these guys, it's it's so hard. It's so hard to win. And that's just gives you a good example. The, it, the media doesn't even know what to ask them anymore. And if you if you think the media are frustrated, how frustrated do you think the guys are in the room? Yeah, I like I the I like I, the I kind of like the f bomb though. I don't oh, think yeah, that would happen like, in a scrum. I th- that's a Zoom thing. I I don't think anybody's a question asker or reporter is dropping an f bomb. Yeah, face to face. That's that's the first time I've ever heard one. Maybe you know. Yeah, just f- yeah. <laughs> I like it. Why not? Yeah, I, and then McKinnon he doesn't even answer, but I. I I pro- I would have answered. I would have answered in something similar to what I just said. Maybe. <laughs> little Chinese farmer. My old inter- little Chinese farmer, maybe. I mean it's 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 Friday morning after maybe, all. You know, just f- Yeah, it's Friday. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the it's approach. Casual, it's that's, well, it's casual Fridays. You can a, ask and say whatever you F want. It, F it Fridays. That's that's, that's <laughs> yes, where we're going. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it's just it's they're fr- like you could tell from the question he's frustrated. McKinnon, it's just the guys in the room at this point. It's, and it's always next year. Oh, next year you get them. Oh, don't think about it. Oh, do this, do that. It's like, guys, we're sitting in there. Like people you were, were just s- lost. Like th- the time for next year, off season, next year stuff is tomorrow. I presume tomorrow will be exit interviews and end of season media avail. Like I'm th- just wondering. Yeah. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering, like, do people start questioning McKinnon now? Can't 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 oh, go the distance. No, no, he's my favorite player. He's my number one. I'm just you're gonna have people and you're gonna say, well, if you're gonna question Matthews and you're gonna question McDavid, how do you not and Cro- and Crosby, how are you not gonna question Ma- McKinnon? That's what people are gonna say this week. I'm telling you, I'll tell it's you coming. What. I won't be coming for me, but it will be coming for the quality of player he is and for the money he's being paid. I would take him on my team, not yesterday. I'd take him on my team a month ago. Where was Taylor Hall against the Make Islanders? Make it happen. Where was Make Taylor Hall? Like, Ooh. I can go down the list here today. And these are all great players. It's just one, you don't get it done in the playoffs, or you play good in one series and you vanish in the next. You're going to have to answer. You're an $8 million player, like $9 million, $10 million. You have to answer for it. We got a jam-packed show. Marley Rivera of ESPN will be with us at 835 she is going to call Sunday Night Baseball, which also airs here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, from Wrigley Field. The Cubs will host the Cardinals on Sunday night. Marley will be doing the color and anal- analysis, easy for me to say, her debut on Sunday Night Baseball. Huge, huge accomplishment for her, and she's always been a friend of the show. We will have her on to talk uh, state of the game, the pitchers doctoring baseballs and her big appearance on Sunday night, former NHL head coach, Stanley cup winner, Mike Keenan, Elliot Friedman's ahead. Brian Bellows as Silk Gentilly digs up old 1993 Montreal Canadians to start throwing those in our faces. Guys who played on the last tab, Stanley cup winner at seven We'll have to ask James Sharman, the tough questions about Euro 2021. Like why is Scotland 200 to one and North Macedonia 500 to one? To win this tournament. What? We have got so we're rooting for some underdogs, Zig. We're rooting for some underdogs. 
<laughs> I have fa- I have family that live in two different countries in Europe that are very close. I'll tell you about it though. Okay, we're I looking. Mentioned it on the show briefly, but since it's the Euro Cup, I will talk about it. Do these folks live north of North Macedonia or south? I'm not gonna. I've North mentioned Macedonia. it on the show. I'm okay. gonna. Ta- I have. We'll dig into it. Let's right. dig into right. it. James Sharman coming up. Uh, we got to get into the Blue Jays. Uh, defense cost them, although you won't see any errors beside their name on the box score. But defense cost them last night. Ryu settled in after a tough first inning, thanks to the defense. We'll touch on that, and Ziggy will give us his uh, family tree coming up. Maybe, you know, just f- name of the program now back to lead off with scotty and ziggy back on toronto sports radio sportsnet 590 the fan our pal simon bennett love it love it this morning we're in an adrian dater type of mood Maybe, on this, you know just f- yeah we're in an adrian dater type of mood on friday morning Got to reel you back in, Zig. Got to reel you back in. We have we have another drop too. Your classic reaction. What did I do? You, your classic reaction, like the 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 the, oh, the, no. the the anger in your voice when I told you that Odd Shark has North Macedonia as five hundred to one to win Euro twenty twenty one. What? What? <laughs> what? What do you mean they're not five to one like England? What? What? They're not five to one like France. What? 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 So you're going to give us the little business about well, North Macedonia? Yeah, everyone always. Well, first off, Greece is not even in the tournament this year. 2004 champions. Like, and you were complaining about that yesterday, that your family went on about Greece winning for like two years after it happened. Two years. There are people right now in the Danforth in Toronto that are still holding parties. From 2004? Was, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. Like, it's... I'm not... People, like... That was Greece, a huge upset. Won it, that was a special it was, win for It them. was over yeah. Portugal. Yeah, okay, it was a huge game. But I never stopped hearing that from my family for a good year. Like, there were parades down the Danforth in Toronto that lasted days like it, it i'm not kidding this wasn't just a one night party when they won so i have dual citizenship and it's canadian i'm canadian greek background um half my family is in northern greece half is in southern north macedonia used to just be called macedonia greece well, macedonia is a greek a greek territory like i don't get me involved i could sit here for no, no, you Six just said you just said you just this. said your family's in some of your family's in northern Greece and then some others are in the south north. Northern Macedonia. So no. is North Macedonia so northern... south of Greece? No. Because Greece no. is on the Mediterranean. No. 
So you have Greece, and then right above it is North Macedonia. I said in the sense. southern part of North Macedonia. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Like like yes. on the border. Yes. That's what I'm I trying to it. say. Got it. Okay. Um, so I have family in in both countries, and you get asked all the time, like, well, what are you? And I'm just like, what are you? And they're like, I'm Macedonian. I'm like, sure, I'm Macedonian. Like, just to avoid the whole Macedonia, Greece talk. I just, I was told as a kid, like, people are always going to ask you and you just don't get involved in the politics. Don't get, don't talk about anything, you know? So half my family is Macedonian. Half my family is, is Greek. And, um, my parents right were born in, in Northern Greece. So, but at the time, I don't know if it was all Greece. Then it was like kind of Macedonia. Like, I don't want to get involved. There's lots of war, lots of fighting, um, that dates back a lot of years. And, there's not much left of the, of the village. I think I think there's like 300 people left. It, it's just kind of funny hearing your parents talk about where they're from. The last time my mom was there was in the early 1970s, and she's like, "Oh, there's this, and there's that, and there's the market." And then I went into the town, and I remember calling her just a couple of years ago. Uh, I wanted to see the house where my parents were born in, and I was like, um, "Am I in the right town called Vevi?" And she's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "There's nobody here." She's like, oh, walk down this street, walk down that. I'm like, there's nothing. Like half the houses are abandoned. It's a, it's a gorgeous little town. But, and she's like, well, go to your dad's house where it's on the main square. And I went and there's like nobody, there's not one person walking around. And then she's just like, she's like calling relatives. It was just like, she remembered it a certain way in the seventies. And I'm like, everybody is gone. And it was an old coal town. There was like a coal mine near it. Um, it's mostly farming now, but yeah, Greece, not in, uh, not in the Euro cup. It's, it's that wasn't long ago that they won it. Right. And I just messaged one of my buddy who's like, so pro Greece. Like I hear about everything that happens and I just send him a text message saying, what day does Greece play in the Euro cup? So we'll see what he says. Well, Scotland is, so I've got Scottish background. I've got English background, but I I'm very proud of my Scottish roots. So I was so excited when they qualified. They so rarely mm-hmm. qualify uh, for World Cups or Euro Cups. And they've got England in their in their pool. And they will play England one week from today. I believe it's a 3 o'clock hour time, obviously in the afternoon kickoff. So James Sharman is going to join us at 7.50. And... I put it out on Twitter yesterday, right to James. I said, do you want to make a proper wager on next week's match, Scotland-England? Of course, James being English background, and he agreed to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and figure out a way to, to, to get some odds in my favor because England will be heavily, heavily favored. But I would like to secure some Charmin proper pies at that my whole, oh, is that what you're going my for? whole goal all right. here, I'll, I'll offer to like send him a 12 pack or a two, four, something of his favorite brand of beer. But what I, what I want ultimately is some Charmin proper pies out of this whole experience. He thinks he's coming on to preview Euro 2021. It's just well, for me to try to get dinner out of the conversation. I was going to, really I was going to say, I was going to say who scores more goals, Scotland or North Macedonia. And I'm looking at the matchups, the Netherlands, Ukraine, and Austria. Um, I'm going to put the over under at, I don't know, a goal and a half. Like, 
is that not the right in three in like how many like they ask play each James, other once yeah. right yeah yeah ask, ask and James. i mean scotland i mean what what's their how many goals do you think they'll get i mean england they're not going to score sorry thanks uh, croatia probably not going to score again i'm going to say they're over i'm going to say scotland's over under for goals is two and a half so if you i mean we could talk about it if you want to say who who what country's going to score more goals um I was I was gonna say who makes it on or who wins the game, but <laughs> I mean Scotland should be decent against the, like the Czechs in Scotland. That should be a game. I mean maybe North Macedonia gives Austria some trouble, but by the not way, happening. You know? I I promise if Scotland pulls a Greece two thousand four and wins this thing, you're taking the week off. You're gonna no, do the whole. I will buy a kilt. Oh, and wear it to work for a month. There's no one there. There's no one at work right no, now. No, okay. There's... I'll buy a kilt and I'll wear it to work for a month when, when people everyone's are back. back in the office. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Every day for a month. Every day for a month, I'll wear a kilt to work. North Macedonia. I mean, what if they won a game? What could I? I don't even know. Like, I, 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 I did visit North Macedonia and my family, but. If North um, Macedonia wins a game, not the tournament, <laughs> a game, you buy the rest of leadoff a trip to <laughs> Greek uh, Greece and the islands and the surrounding islands. A little stop on Mykonos and the other 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 spots. That's it. There you go. Sure, Trips on sure. you. Sounds good. Just win a game. Score a goal. I mean, I'll whittle this thing down. I'll whittle this thing down. Guys have been talking this week. So Nathan McKinnon was... It was really more Adrian Dater than Nathan McKinnon in that little exchange that we played in the last segment. But Dougie Hamilton, Dougie Hamilton had a take on what happened to his Carolina Hurricanes against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We lost a team that's $18 million over the cap. We lost. Oh. They we lost. We lost to a team much 18 it. million yeah, over the pretty cap. Much, we yeah, lost. he summed it up. Yeah, he summed it up there. You lost. That's it. That should have been the end of the sentence. Sorry. Did we lost? Simple question. And I, I'll never hammer on an athlete for throwing a dagger or for saying how he feels. Simple question. Did the Tampa Bay Lightning break the rules? No, they didn't. How do I know that? Because they were allowed to ice the team that they iced. I remember being a very, very young broadcaster, host, reporter around the Senators. And I was trying to crunch some math on a roster move the Senators made one time. And I actually asked Brian Murray. It was one-on-one. -on -one. It wasn't on the record. It was just, I bumped into him in the hall and I, I said, so I'm piecing this together. You're allowed, to, you're allowed to do this after doing that. He looked at me and he said, well, we did it, so we must be allowed. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it was a, just a very I, basic way to put it. And, and, yeah. and Tampa Bay, look, Kucherov was hurt. They had guys that, that didn't play for them in the regular season and allowed them to do some other things. And then they got their team together. It come playoff time when there is no cap. If you can finagle it that way, God bless you. Good for you. Other teams, you can figure it out too. That just, you know what it tells me? That just tells me how good Tampa is because Carolina is a really good team. Dougie Hamilton's one of the best D in the league. And I thought it was going to be more of a series and it wasn't. I think they could have gone the other way. Like I think if, if Carolina was up in the series right now and we were, 
you know, and it went seven, I wouldn't be surprised either. And it could have been the case, but that just gives you an idea of how good they are is when you have, like for me, when a player comes out and starts complaining about something that just tells me how outmatched they were in something like it's, it's an excuse, right? Like as soon as you start making excuses, you know, you got beat really bad. So when a player comes out and starts talking about the other team's salary cap and how much over they are, I understand the frustration because I feel like we've talked on that. We talked about it to start the playoffs, right? Oh, let me guess. Kuch- we talked about it all year. Let me guess. Kucherov's going to come back and to start for, you know, game one. And the issue is how good he was. Like if Kucherov was bad, he came like if he wasn't a factor, Hamilton wouldn't be saying what he said yesterday. You know what I mean? Or the other day, like he wouldn't, he wouldn't be talking about that. Right. So for me, it's, it's a couple things. It's one, if Kucherov wasn't good, like this is not even an issue, but that's how good Tampa Bay is. When you have players on teams, they're beating that are going to start complaining about it to the media. And here's a topic for the top of the hour. Dougie Hamilton on whether he plans or hopes to re-sign with Carolina. To be honest, I don't really have any idea right now. So uh, like I talked to you guys before, I really wanted to focus on hockey and we kind of didn't talk about contract. I mean, I didn't wasn't involved really at all. I let my agent, whatever, but uh, they kind of tabled conversations till after the season and I'm sure they'll start talking again soon. So the guy the Leafs could have drafted. The guy the Leafs could have drafted. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, he'll end up coming home. I'm on the Dougie Hamilton wagon. I'm telling you right now, I want Dougie Hamilton to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. We will touch on that at the top of the hour. We also have to get into the Blue Jays. Defense, it it is always about what shows up in the box score. Errors. They didn't make errors last night. They had one gigantic misplay in the bottom of the first inning that essentially gave the White Sox an extra out. And Chicago took advantage, scoring three runs. And wouldn't you know it, the White Sox won the baseball game last night by, you guessed it, three runs. The Jays are good, but they got got to stop stubbing their own toes. We'll talk about it. Bennett, if you're listening, you don't have to put up with that. Silent Vic. Go with now Silent Simon. Vic. Now Simon, he's like part of the team now. Now he knows what it's like. You miss a name, you miss a word, <laughs> Just, and it is like you will never live it down. Oh, yeah. Never. No. I what? screwed I screwed that up. I screwed <laughs> that up. You know, you know that's coming. I screwed that up. There you go. Vic, Vic's trying to find all my drops, all my mistakes. I had somebody actually go in there and delete all my old drops. All yeah, he's trying. See, Vic's trying to find them right now behind the glass. You had I don't even need somebody. To yeah, I put a call in. I said, "Hey, you got to delete <laughs> the breeze." Brew Drees is gone. <laughs> Brew Drees. Oh, there it is. Fred oh, Van Vick. Vic. Uh, <laughs> Fred Van Viet, that's there. Good. Frankie? Frankie? My boy Randall. My boy Randall. Oh, wow. I think Vic saved all of them and, like, takes home a backup. That's what I think he does. It's not fast food. It's, it's, it's food fast. Yes. 
<laughs> little USB action there. Just, just so story. we love Simon. Simon, don't take it. Come back and defend yourself. Oh, Simon's a true thing. pro too. He's a true pro too. Voice of the Marlies and all that. Like well, he can't, he can't defend himself right now. Like how is he supposed to defend himself in the update? I'll tell he you can't what. even defend himself. I'll tell you what. I mean, rumor has it that he's over on another address on the 680 News side of the building. We'll give Simon the opportunity to defend himself if he wants to come over and sit in. And if he oh, wants to come I over and say, he's, but he's got to make the trek. He's got to make the it's trek. It's a long Can't, walk. It's he, a long walk. That's, he's probably, he, with, with the protocols right now, he's probably not allowed to cross the, the bridge. For sure. That bridge is like cut off right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, That's like, like Twin Towers. What's, yeah. what's the name of the Game of Thrones town that, that controls the one bridge? Is it Twin Towers? Twin the something. Twins. I don't even, the Twins. The Twins. Walter Frey. Yeah. Yeah, there's Walter Frey. Walter Frey and his 800 wives. Are, are the Red Wedding. That's where the Red Wedding That's was. That's where right? the Red yeah, Wedding yeah. was. Yeah, I that. Remember. Oh, I think we're allowed to talk about spoilers now, right? I can't. I can't talk about well, Sopranos spoilers I with it. you. I can't talk about I Sopranos watched. spoilers with yeah. you. 14 years later, but uh, I, we we can talk Game of Thrones spoilers seven or eight years after after the Red Wedding. Um, here is uh, Rick and Mimico. Idea for Scotty's bet with Charmin. If Charmin wins the bet, Scotty has to eat a proper pie on the edge walk as the tower is lit up for England and the Habs. And it, Scotty wins and he gets a high five and a free pie. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a very fair bet at all. Look at this. Jordan and Saga. Come on, Scotland. Please win Euro. I want to see Rowdy Roddy MacArthur in a kilt like that. That would be awesome. Tom from Scarborough. Scott, you can borrow my kilt if you can't get one made as long as you don't mind wearing the Cameron Tartan. I know there's like history between the families think, and the clans. I think you got to I think you, you got to bring in like I think you got to bring in the pipes, the bagpipe too. You got to put the whole you got to like Glenn Healy the whole thing up. Oh. Is that not the Glenn Healy? Is that not what cuz he he has a band, I think. Well, if Healy's not is, a band. Yeah. If oh Rowdy Roddy Piper, yes. If Heels is re willing to come in and and play me in, I, there's no way I can play the bagpipes. You blow into one of those bagpipes. I doubt any Buddy, noise. It's not would come hard. Out. You just blow into one of the one of the things that come out. Just it's not hard. It's not going to sound good, but you got to get a bagpipe. That's got to be part of the the bet. A technical way of saying it. You just <laughs> blow into one of the things that pop out. There you go. Uh, Dougie Hamilton on if he will sign with the Carolina Hurricanes. He's an unrestricted free agent. And the Blue Jays' defense betrays them again. Uh, we'll get into a loss in Chicago as they prepare for a four-game series that starts tonight in Boston. You're li listening to Leadoff with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I don't know why, but this, well, I do know why, because it happened all the time in spring training 2013 in Dunedin. Thrift Shop would play 
at like 10 o'clock on the dot every morning as the players were heading out onto the field to do their pregame warm-ups and Brett Laurie would just head bob to this song. This song makes me think of Brett Laurie. He would just head bob to this thing same time every single day all spring 2013. Him and his Red Bulls, that's all I remember. I, I, I went out on the town with him a couple times and it was just like is it, Red Bulls. By the way, is that is going out on the town with Brett Laurie probably everything you'd not, expect it to be? He's not as crazy. Like when you watch him run out on the field and then back and then he like snorts the Red Bull on the in the dugout, like apparently that's what he does, right? That's his thing. Um no, he's like a really nice, down-to-earth, quiet guy. <laughs> so, yeah, he's not. It's so funny what everyone thinks of players. I'm guilty well, of this look, too. He, like, he I'm kind of put I'm, out. He people think what they think because he portrayed it. Well, I know not all athletes in Toronto, but I've had a chance to go out with a lot of the Jays players over the years. Um, Obviously, different NHL players playing with guys, being in the league, but I'm guilty of it as well. Like what what the media and what the public thinks of an athlete versus what they're really like. I get guilty a lot in golf. Like what I think of certain golfers is the total opposite. And I have friends south of the border, friends that are golf agents, friends that belong to golf clubs where there's 40 pros at, you know, 20 PGA guys and another 20 guys uh, and the corn fairy tour that play and they'll tell me, yeah, what you think of this guy is not even close. It's uh, he's really tough to, he's really tough to get along with and tough to play with. And then there's other guys that I like, Oh, he seems so like cold in interviews. They're like the greatest guy ever. Nothing of what you think. So I'm guilty of it as well. Well, silent Vic is having a morning this morning. I just piecing, piecing that together. But I, I think we're, I think we're all living the Adrian Dater life. It's a, it's a Friday morning just before the official start of summer. We're you living. Know, just f- there you go. There you go. That, by the way, is from the Adrian Dater exchange with Nathan McKinnon last night yeah. after Colorado went out. Adrian saying, "Bleep it! Why don't you guys stop thinking about stuff next year and just go out and." Play yeah, hockey. That's a great. That's a great theory. And if if it was that simple, like I, I just wonder, does anybody have a clue of like what goes on and the amount of work and time and moving parts with a professional sports team? Like, could like, you imagine next year? Jared Bednar sits his assistants down before training camp and says, "I don't want you showing guys video of." The night before his game, I don't want. Uh, let's not talk. No power video. Play. Let's not talk. How about we PK. don't? How about next year? No. How about next year? We don't practice. How about that? Yes. How about we just show up for the games? Yeah. Just hey, we're just gonna show up for the games. No video. No practice. Heck, you know what? How about let's not have a training camp either, because we can't win the way. Yeah. Like it's it's just it's it's not fair. It really there's like teams like the Avalanche right now. It's just not fair. Like I, they're just so good. They're, they are, they're, they're one of the great, they're one of the greatest teams put together in like the last 10 years in the NHL. They're really that good. I, they don't have the depth of, of Vegas, but, and we talked a lot about the cadre being suspended and, and how it hurt them, but it's a well put together team, just dangerous. Like McCar- did you see like some of the plays McCarr was making? It was like breaking up th- odd man rushes and then Good stick, you know, avoiding a disaster in front of his net. 
And then not only does he break up the place, he'll like, he'll take it away. He'll steal it. And it's like an odd man rush the other way. Like this kid is, he's not just an offensive threat. He's good defensively and he can transition on a dime and just, it's hard to play against. They're, they're a team that I'm, it's like I said, it's, that was the Stanley cup final for me. It really was. And no disrespect to, to the Islanders, no disrespect to Tampa. I think Tampa's right there as a third for me, but these were the best two teams in the league. And it's unfortunate they had to meet in the second round. So Las Vegas, uh, or don't call them Las Vegas, that'll get you sued. The Vegas Golden Knights uh, move on to play the Montreal Canadiens in the Huberl Dream matchup. So that guarantees that Hugh will have a team that he loves in the Stanley Cup final, his beloved Habs and his adopted Western team, the, the Vegas Golden Knights. So the Habs and the Knights will start on Monday night. And Tampa Bay and the Islanders will have a 3 o'clock puck drop on Sunday afternoon to kick off the Stanley Cup semifinals. So uh, the matchups are set, and and we'll see how it all plays out. Marc-Andre Fleury, his agent, Alan Walsh, hasn't had to tweet anything this spring. He's been excellent. Carey Price has been excellent for the Habs. Should be a fun matchup. Should be a fun matchup. And I, I know you're hoping that the Habs put out a good showing so that the North Division doesn't continue to get railroaded in narratives and discussions online, in print, on the radio and TV. The, the, the Montreal Canadiens are the great defender now of the North Division. Yeah. I think I, you're trying to recruit me to their fandom. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to well, happen. Well, I hope, I hope they do well. I, hey, I'm, I wouldn't – wouldn't, I'm not going to cover my car. I'm not going to have two Habs flags flying from my car this coming week. But, yeah, I want them to do well. How do they beat and, them? How do they beat? How do they beat Vegas? More of the same. Well, they don't score first. They're in big trouble. Yes. Uh, okay. You have no idea. No, no. You think it's like, a, oh, if they don't score, they won't be in it. No, like they won't have a chance. Um, the big four in the back end: Petrie, Edmondson, uh, Sherratt, and Weber have to do the same thing they did in the first two series. You're gonna have to carry. Carey Price is not going to have to be good. He's going to have to steal games. Not sure if that's possible. Um, like, I mean, Vasilevsky steal games. And there's not many Vasilevskis. Like, Vasilevsky for me in the hell, and I know Hellbuck had a little bit of a rough playoff, but he's one of the best. So, and Carey Price has been incredible. Has he stolen games for the Habs? I don't think he's gotten to that level yet he's gonna have to get there if they want to have a chance not win have a chance in the series win a game so that the power play is gonna have to be clicking they have to take advantage of it because the thing about the power play is that if your power play starts clicking that's gonna put vegas back on their heels a little not a lot like they're not gonna like vegas is not gonna change their game because a montreal power play all of a sudden gets hot but it will slow them down a bit. So, I mean, that's a lot of things. And the young kids, like the young kids are going to get, this is a huge wake-up call. Caught Kinyami, Caulfield, Suzuki. Like, this, like you want to talk about a learning experience? Going against Vegas for a series, they're going to get four games against them as, at least. It's, it's great. It's great for the development. Like, at this point, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, yeah, you want to go to the Stanley Cup final, but you have to be happy with, 
with what this is going to do for your young core going forward. Like I always talk about, you know, we talk about Nate Pearson. We talk about Alec Manoa at, at, with the Jays and, oh yeah, you, you want to let them get some games in, right? We talked about Pearson a lot. Is it good to bring a guy up, have him play a couple? You always want your young prospects to taste what it's like at the big leagues, but to get playoff experience when you're a young prospect, I can't imagine for me, when I came into the NHL, I was lucky enough that the hurricanes were out of the playoffs and I got called up for the last 20 games. I didn't get the call for those 20 games. I probably never play in the NHL. Like I, I probably, but that experience I had from those games at the end of the season were massive for my development. So if you're looking at this big picture, you Habs fan, it's, it's huge. Um, there's nothing that can replicate it. There's not even regular seasons are great. And you want a guy to kind of develop and you want him to get, you know, work for a spot on a team, but going into Vegas and getting to play them and we're, you know, into June, like it's, it's well, great. Yeah. And there'll be stories within the bigger stories too, right? Max Pacioretty, the ex Habs captain will play his former team and Nick Suzuki who went to Montreal as a, a guy who hadn't quite yet made his NHL debut in that trade. For Pacioretty, he's a Golden Knights draft pick. He's playing against the team that essentially gave him his pro start. So stories within the stories, it should be great. Should be great. And, and you want to make the game as boring as possible if you're the Canadians. Like some of those games against the Leafs, how bad they were, like they're going to have to do that even more. Just you don't want to excite them. No scrums after the whistle. Play them hard. Whistle blows like right to the bench. You don't want to get Reeves going. You don't want to get their bench fired up. You don't want to trade chances. Uh, obviously, you're going to need production from the back end, but you don't want to be jumping in a play and creating an odd man rush the other way. Like that's going to be a massive. Like Vegas would love to trade chances with the Canadians. I don't care how good price plays. Brian Bellows, uh, ex Minnesota North Star, ex Montreal Canadian, was on the Stanley Cup champion 1993 team. Will join us in 20 minutes. And we'll go over comparisons between this Habs team and that 93 team that had a lot of overtime success, wonderful goaltender and Patrick Waugh. The gates kind of cleared for them too once Pittsburgh, the two-time defending cup champion, got eliminated by David Volek and the Islanders in the first round. And the Habs, after beating Quebec, played Buffalo in the Adams Division Final and then beat the Islanders in the Campbell Conference Final and or Wales conference final on and on it went. So the, the path was kind of cleared. I thought maybe he was booked because his son's name is Kiefer, but that's, that's just a, an aside, just an aside. We know, we know, we know how you love your Kiefer Ziggy. So, so, so there you go. I well, doubt that's the reason. Uh, probably okay. <laughs> not at all. Part of the reason why Brian Bellows was booked. He'll be along. Uh, like I said, after the uh, seven thirty update with uh, Simon Bennett, blue Jays last night, so Hyunjin Ryu, I thought, was was pretty good. We've talked a lot about the difficulties that the bullpen has had. It actually feels like the rotation has solidified a little bit. Ryu hasn't been as good in his last couple of starts. He was certainly better last night than he was in, a, in his previous outing. You're getting good Every fifth day appearances from Robbie Ray. Steven Matz is a reliable back-end guy. Ross Stripling has been better of late. And Alec Manoa is working to figure everything out at, at the highest level of baseball as he, as he makes his entrance into the big leagues. So that's positive. It's just that this is a young, up-and-coming team. 
So I want to underline the fact that I believe this team is good, but it's not as good as it's going to be. And one of the things that it's going to have to clean up, Ziggy, and one of the things Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro will have to determine here is whether that some of the things they need to clean up can be cleaned up with who they've got or whether it's personnel issues or the way that they deploy certain personnel. For every wonderful throw Lourdes Goriel makes from left field to gun a guy down at the plate, there is at least one misplay on a fly ball that can wreck things. And it happened yeah. right away last night, first inning, uh, Yermin Mercedes w- with one out, doubles off the left field wall on a ball that needed to be caught. Guriel took the wrong path, got all twist tied up, and it one-hopped the wall. And, well, Hyunjin Ryu did recover to get Yuan Moncada on a fly ball to center field, runner on second, two outs at that point. It was that extra out that counted for everything because Jose Abreu singled home Mercedes and then Yasmani Grandal, the catcher, hit a two-run home run. You give the White Sox that fourth out in the inning, they're up three to nothing. They end up winning the baseball game by three runs, five to two. Until the Jays start to become a better fundamental team more consistently, there will be frustrations like the one last night. Never mind frustrations. They're, uh, they're not a playoff team. I don't care who you go and trade for. Go go and get go and get two starters. Go and get whoever you want. When you have plays like that from Guriel, like I I don't know I, th- what playoff team has a has an outfielder that's gonna miss that ball. Who's gonna miss play the route there? I, I it's happened too many times. Is his arm great? It's one of the best in the league. Can he hit? Yes, he can hit. But you can't have that. And where are you gonna move? Where are you gonna move Guriel? That's the that's the thing. Well. You, you wonder because he's such an appealing player. If, oh, I, if incredible if, talent. If, he, if he's somebody that but you But he can, looks like he looks like me in left field right. at Father Mike McGivney. That's who it looks like. You know what they did with me? They told you to play hockey. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they told you. That's what change. they told you. Hey, Guriel, I think you should change sports. Um, how about uh, the javelin throw? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think he's an appealing player, and yeah. his name has often come up in, in trade rumors, and they will have a surplus, which is never necessarily a bad thing, but they'll have a surplus when George Springer comes back because Randall Gritchick's got to play every day. He's earned that right. Teoscar Hernandez is in the mix. So you got four guys who arguably could play every day three spots in the outfield. You know, Guriel, it, it's just... Can you move him to DH, though? Can you have him DH? And if, then he's hitting, once, if he's hitting better than he... If he's become around a little bit, but... If he's hitting okay, can he go to DH and just... He fills in when you got to give a guy a day off. You know, that's kind of like... Do you mix him in? Is he become a utility guy? Like I was talking, Ziggy, to Ben Wagner last night, and one of the things I said was... And I, I hate always just comparing one team to another, but it's necessary because they're divisional rivals. And I also say this understanding what I said off the hop, which is that the Jays are still very young. They're a good team on the way to being very good and hopefully great. So this is not like blow it all up. It's not hating on them. It's just there's a progression you take to getting really, really good. And I said, how many times 
in your memory bank, and we typically only see them when they play the Blue Jays, because God knows I don't have much of a life, but I got more of a life than I'm going to watch 162 Tampa Bay Rays games. I promise you that. How many times do you see the Tampa Bay Rays make the type of mistakes, not the ground, occasional ground ball through the legs, the physical errors that naturally come up over the course of a season, but how many times do you see the Tampa Bay Rays take a bad route on a fly ball and turn an out into an extra base hit? Mm-hmm. Very rarely. Very rarely. Like Hyunjin Ryu should have been out of that inning. Should have been out of that inning in the bottom of the first last night with no scars. Should have been 0-0 with the Jays coming up. Instead, you're down a three spot against Dallas Keuchel, who was awesome last night. It... Don't point the rifle, the loaded rifle at your foot and fire. And it's still happening too often with this team. So is it the youth or is it that there's only so far you're going to get with certain pieces of this personnel? And that's what they've got to figure out. Who do you keep and who are you willing to move on from? And I'm wondering if Guriel, for the right package, is in that latter category. I just don't know if if he's not if he's not going to be an everyday outfielder for you. Do you like why why would you keep him around? Why not move him for a prospect? Move him for another bullpen arm? Do something. Like I just the the problem is is that his arm is so good. Like how many guys has he gunned down at home plate from the outfield? Like a lot, right? So yeah, I just it's it's frustrating because he's such a good talent, right? And you have mistakes like that. It's like I'm trying to compare him to other guys. It's like great players don't 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 make mistakes like that. It it really is that bad. Like I I don't know if that he lost the ball. I don't know if it was a bad route. He's having trouble reading the spin off the bat. Like it's it's really puzzling for me. Well, he's a natural um, he's a natural infielder, right? I mean, he was a he was the shortstop here before Bo was. And then ended up in the minor leagues about two and a half, three weeks into the 2019 season because he he couldn't throw the ball across the diamond. It was in his head, and then it was affecting his offense, and he went down, and he worked with Devon White at AAA Buffalo and turned himself into what appeared to be a pretty good outfielder. I thought he had a good year in the outfield last year. He was hitting the hell out of the baseball, number one. I also thought he was a pretty good left fielder for this team in a shortened season last year. So I, I honestly am surprised to see how much he has struggled tracking balls. He can throw a ball, but tracking balls, taking the right routes. And mm-hmm. like Teoscar Hernandez will struggle out there as well. Yeah, but is he not an everyday? Like who are, who are your three outfielders for you? Like well, when Springer's Gritch- back. Randall, Randall, uh, George. And then probably Teoscar. Teoscar in left, I guess. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, what's what's the issue with those three guys? Yeah, Teoscar is, can have his own challenges defensively, but if you stash him in left field and you got Springer to cover the center field territory either side and Gritchick plays you a good right field and you know you're getting that, that, that is, that's a far more ideal. But when I look at the lineup and, and the way that their defense is structured, I would not trade the right side of the infield for the world right now. You have the best first baseman, in baseball, the offensive. Were you going to say the AL, and you're just like, you well, know what? I'm no, going to get them all. Yeah, baseball the offensive right now. numbers dictate it. 
And yeah. you know he's done really he, – Vladdy deserves all the credit in the world. He's done a really nice job for this team defensively. And, if, you know, defense is important, but it's not the priority out of your first baseman. But he's given them everything. And then Marcus Semien has been one of the great free agent signings in in the sport this season and is playing a really nice second base and obviously since the start of May has been wonderful offensively. They've still got to figure out the left side of the infield. They've got some challenges in the outfield. They've got a young catching core right now. How far can they run it with that? This team is still being molded. And when we watch each and every night, we want just that little bit more. And I'm trying to remind myself sometimes when I get so frustrated that they're not quite there yet. And sometimes we see it. Mm -hmm. And we saw it last night. We saw it last night. Because that first inning shouldn't have happened. Yeah, and Ryu just, he, he bounced back too. Like, didn't let it affect him. Like that can throw a pitcher. Like imagine you start off a game and that happens. It's just, it's kind of brutal for, for your, for your ace to go through that. Like he doesn't show any frustration. That's what I love about Ryu. Like I, I don't like when, I don't like when pitchers, pitchers show frustration with the outfield when there's a mistake or infield error. Like that bothers me a lot. So the fact that Ryu just, you don't see anything from him, just goes out there, does his job comes back in the second, doesn't let him affect them at all. I, I, I love that about him. But there are some pitchers on the Jays that are very emotional and animated when there's a mistake in the outfield. Like that's, that for me is just, I, I don't like it a lot. And I love the emotion. I want guys that want to win, but at the same time, body language matters to me. And I, I don't like it when the pitchers like give it to guys like, and he would have had a reason to get mad. A Goriel for that. Like, come on. Just I compare everything to Dave Steeb, mid to late 80s. Dave Steeb. <laughs> you got to go back and watch some of the YouTube videos if they're up. Like he, I mean. Glove he, in the air, just hat off, just, head down. You're just like, it just calling guys out. Like, you don't need to do that. Just people know when players make mistakes. Don't do it. Like there's nothing worse in hockey with a guy's like the body language. And he doesn't get the puck like. He kind of relaxes. Yes. Like, Slumps okay, the buddy. Shoulders. Yeah. yeah. Like you're good. We get it, but you're not that good. So relax. Brian Bellows was on the 1990, 91 North stars team that Cinderella their way all the way to the Stanley cup final before losing to Mario and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if you don't remember this goal, you, because you weren't alive or too young, you've certainly seen it on YouTube. That's the, Mario Lemieux deking Sean Chambers out of his jock strap and then putting it past John Casey, I think was the Minnesota goaltender at the time. But then two years later, after a trade to Montreal, Brian Bellows won the Stanley Cup in his first season with the Habs in 92-93. He was a member of the last Habs team to win a cup. Are there comparisons between the 2021 version of the Habs and the 93 version of the Habs? We'll relive some memories as well. Brian Bellows is our guest next.
James Sharman, host of the Footy Prime podcast in about 15 minutes' time, and we'll get into Euro 2021, which starts today in Rome, 3 o'clock our time. The host Italians will take on Turkey, and then the tournament kicks uh, into high gear tomorrow. Uh, with three games in the early rounds, uh, early round, we'll have three games a day. So plenty you of better, soccer coming up. Well, yeah, you better be able to break North Macedonia down. I want to know everything about the team. I want to know what their coaching situation is like, the systems. I want to know what goaltending is going to be like, how many goals they're going to score roughly. I want to know everything about them. Why don't you just settle them. for a Sherman's proper pie? There you go. I mean, instead of forcing <laughs> him to break down a team... 500 to one odds, 500 to one odds. Uh, James Sharman in about 15 minutes. Uh, he is a 1993 Stanley Cup champion with the last Canadian-based team to hoist the cup. He, uh, two years earlier, was on that Cinderella Minnesota North Stars team that went all the way to the cup final but lost to Mario Lemieux and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Brian Bellows, good enough to take some time to join us this morning and... Uh, Maybe we'll throw uh, some comparisons, see if there are comparisons. This 2021 Habs unit to uh, the 93 Habs team. Brian, thank you for your time this morning. How are you? I'm doing okay, guys. Doing okay. So let's let's go back in time to when you were traded by Minnesota to Montreal. It was a one-for-one deal for a guy we're really familiar with here in Toronto and have fond memories of, Russ Cortnell. Were you anticipating a move out of Minnesota at that point, or did that deal take you by surprise? Um, I'd heard, you know, rumors about it, but I think until it happens, it always takes you by surprise. So you'd had 55 goals in 89-90, 35 for Minnesota in 90-91, and another 30 in 91-92. Then you join the Montreal Canadiens and have a 40-goal season in what would end up being a Stanley Cup winning year. Uh, you land in Montreal. What are you thinking playing for one of the great heritage franchises in the league? And how did that team come together over the course of the season? You know, I, I, I think the most uh, interesting, I was caught off guard at when the trade first happened. And, uh, you know, mainly, you know, Coach Demers and Serge were, you know, just kind of put you at ease at the time they're, what the kind of team they're building. And it helped a lot that once I got in, you know, I played with Kirk Muller before in a, in a world championship and got to know him. So, you know, went out and hung out with him a little bit. And, uh, you know, I met on with Mike Keene and the guys, and I was immediately welcomed, and it just started from there. Are there any, if any, similarities between that 93 Canadians team and, and the Canadians team, you know, this year that's making a run for it? Sure. I, I think that obviously the number one is, you know, Carey Price and, you know, comparing him to uh, Patrick. If, you know, in the playoffs, you, you really don't get that far unless you have great goaltending. And if you want to go far, you better you better have really great goaltending. And uh, it does make the difference. And other than that, I, I just, it takes you back to the time like Search of Arts that, you know, just always feel the good enough team to get in because you never know what will happen. Teams come together. You know, other teams that are expected to win sometimes can't pull it all together at the right time. What did Patrick Waugh mean to your team? Not, I mean, I think the playoffs, it was pretty obvious, but just night in and night out, Brian, having a guy like that between the pipes playing behind you. You know, I, 
I loved being with Patrick in a sense that, to me, he just showed almost the ultimate leadership in a lot of different ways that people haven't heard of or realized. But, you know, I liked his demeanor. And then when it – because easy going, but then once it got close to the game, you could see the game face come on and he was ready and he wanted to compete. He wanted to prove that he was the best in the world every game, and, and uh, I loved that. We've been talking a lot about teams coming off seven-game series versus teams coming off sweeps and the differences between, you know, is it better to have the rest or do you prefer just to jump into the next series, right? Ride that momentum. What did you prefer when you played to come off of? Would you Did you want to play right away or did you like some of that rest and try to regroup for that next, uh, you know, opponent? Um, usually rest. It all depends how you know beat up your team is and what the injury status was. Um, you know, I know coming off Quebec, I broke my broken a couple ribs, so I missed a couple games versus Buffalo. But you know, we swept, so then it gave me more time to rest after that. So it makes a makes a huge difference uh, depending on where your team is injury wise. If you're all healthy, maybe you want to keep the momentum going. But for most part, as you as you move on, players get injured. With Brian Bellows, a uh, member of the 93 Montreal Canadian Stanley Cup winner. This is leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. Was there a moment during that playoff run, Brian, where you guys, I mean, you always go into the playoffs believing. I mean, otherwise, why would you even compete? But was there a moment when it seemed like, okay, we got a real shot here? And I don't know if it's something that happened specifically with your team or if it was external like David Volick scoring the overtime winner in game seven against Pittsburgh to eliminate the two-time defending cup champs? You know, I think when you look at any team that wins, a lot of things have to go right internally, externally. They just got to kind of, you know, the stars have to align. But I think for us, when we got down 2 nothing to Quebec early and, you know, we managed to come back and win the next four. I think that really solidified us internally in our dressing room as, okay, we can do this. You know, we got over the, the big one, and and then whoever we're ready by that time, we just seemed to fall into a good sink of how of the way we're playing. Things were going well. You know, if there was one breakdown, Patrick saved that. Other than that, we had guys scoring across the lineup, which I think is a huge key too. We talk a lot about regular season players and playoff players and the differences and uh, me and Scotty talk a lot about the Leafs obviously being here in Toronto and the fact they haven't been able to have any playoff success. What is the difference for you when you played in guys that you played with that really guys that separated themselves, you know, those playoff performers from guys that just got it done in the regular season? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just think it's interesting. The guys can bring in, they can raise up their internal demeanor and be kind of more of an aggressive player, but yet mentally they really stay kind of, you know, quiet. So they're always processing the info. And you can just – you see guys year after year in the league when we played that we're just known for it and can do it. And I think it's just, you know, internally something revs up their engine. They want to compete. This is their, you know, big chance. And every game means something. And, um, you know, it was known who who could do it and who, you know, sometimes struggled just because of the, uh, I think it's the intensity. So you guys lose game one of the 93 Cup final in Montreal to the Kings and you're trailing late in game two and then Jacques Demers challenges the stick 
Oh, it was, it was a Marley, Marty McSorley, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. The blade illegal, on illegal curve, uh, the illegal yes. curve on on Marty McSorley's stick. I don't know if you were on the ice on the bench. Are you a hundred percent? Are you a hundred percent confident in that moment, Brian, that that stick is illegal and you guys are about to go on the power play? I would say very confident, just because of the fact that you know all of us had looked at the curve. We've talked about it, and a couple of the guys that were more. You know, in the grooming their sticks, really thought so. And uh, but you're never 100. percent But you know, we believed in it, and uh, just glad it worked out. Overtime success. You guys won 10 consecutive overtime games in that Cup run in '93, and we know Montreal certainly had some overtime success against the Maple Leafs, winning games five and six in the first round against uh, Toronto in extra time. Is that a combination of luck? I mean, you know, a puck can go in off a skate. Puck can go in off a guy's rear end, shot from the point, deflects in. Is that a combination of luck, or is there is there something more to it? Um, you know, luck's always going to be involved. No one's ever going to say it's not. But I think the bigger key is that when you had Patrick in the zone like he was, he got better as the games went on. And after we started winning our first couple in overtime, the confidence just grew, and we felt like going into overtime. You know, Patrick's going to shut, shut the net, and I've said it before. He just said, don't worry, guys. I will not let one in. Just, you know, get a goal. And we firmly believed it. So, you know, in a, that belief just grew and grew until the very end. I'm not sure how much uh, – are you watching much of the playoffs this year? Like, do you, do you still tune in, or is it just um... – you know, I'm sure you watch all the Islanders games with your with your son with the, yeah. the New York organization. But um, this Vegas team that the Canadians are going up again against, do you think Price can steal some games, or uh, how do you see this Vegas team this year? Well, you know, I think that's every. It's probably I'm no different than any journalist out there in the sense that we haven't seen any teams compare each other. Vegas is big. They're fast. They're talented, and they have really good goaltending. Other than that, they should be easy, right? Um, you know, they, they're they're one of the top teams to beat. Everyone, I think everyone going into the playoffs was thinking, you know, you have you have Vegas and, you, you know, you have Tampa and Colorado under kind of that top three, and then you'll just see how it goes. But, you know, when it comes down to when you play, it's still a team, still a team game. And the plan and the process you have in place can sometimes – and especially in playoffs, can sometimes overdo maybe what people perceive as the more talented and more ready team. Not more ready, but I'd say the team that people thought were more entitled to it. And, you know, I look at how Montreal comes into playoffs and how their teams focus just from the past. And, you know, they take that with them, that, that belief that they can do it. And, you know, it's kind of no different than, you know, like in the Islanders when you have Lou Lamorello and I have Barry Trotz. They go in, we're going to play our system, and we're going to believe in each other. And, you know, the team component can outweigh what maybe a, a, what people perceive as a more talented team that you're playing. And that's the beauty of you have to play the games. Brian, we'll uh, leave it there. We appreciate your insight. Um, no doubt you're interested in watching how far the Habs can uh, run with this thing, the Islanders organization as well. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll reach out again. You got it, guys. Thank you very much. Brian Bellows, 1993 Stanley Cup champion with the Montreal Canadiens.
nine times, Ziggy, a 30-goal scorer in the National Hockey League. And of those nine 30-goal seasons, he scored at least 44 times. And of the four times he scored at least 40, a 55-goal season is in there. And that was with yeah. the 89, 90 Minnesota North stars. He did it. And a lot of it's through hard work, obviously skilled guy, but, and could find the back of the net, but fought for every inch out there. You know, it's it, a lot of fun. It, I remember him, you know, a little bit with the North stars growing up, but we didn't get to see Minnesota play too often in Toronto. So, Well, you know, it's funny. I think, I think the first game I ever went to, well, I know the first game I ever went to was a Maple Leafs North Stars game. No way. We talked about this. That's, yeah. That's awesome. I'd, I'd have to yeah. dig it up on hockey reference. I I don't remember the date, but I remember the score. It was a 5-5 tie. And Kari Taco, I don't know why I remember this. Kari Taco was Minnesota's goaltender. And mm-hmm. it definitely, Brian Bellows, if he wasn't injured, would have been playing in that game. No question about it because it was the late yeah. 80s. Not, just not a bit, not a big guy, but man, he could, he just, he would outwork. He's just one of those guys that, you know, he always seems to show up the bigger the moment gets great playoff performer. Um, you how know, about that was straight great, up? Was, how about that straight up one for one trade? Brian Bellows for Russ Cortnell in the off season prior to the 92, 93 season. But Russ Cortnell was really like, are you trying to say that Russ Cortnell shouldn't, that should have been a bigger package for, for, Be- for Brian? No. No, no, no. But oh, like Russ, okay. Cort- Russ Cortnell was a pretty good hockey player himself. Yeah, really good. And he could fly, too. He was fast. Like, I can remember. Like, I remember him growing up, Russ Cortnell. That was like someone all on all the kids' radar in Toronto. Obviously, the speed and his skill level, his hands. So, he was fun watching, you know, as a kid. Well, and then he was traded out of town for John Cordick. And Russ's brother, Jeff, had a pretty good career. In the NHL too, mm-hmm. I think. I think if we look at it, Jeff Cortnell ended up scoring more career goals than Russ. But uh, we'll have to uh, get Silent Vic to to dig that one up. James Sharman coming up on the other side. Are you? Do, do, don't make this down. all about North Macedonia. Don't make this. <laughs> how I promise Greece, I won't make Greece it all about not, Scotland. How do, how do you win the Euro Cup and then? four tournaments later, you're not in the Euro Cup. Like, how does that happen? It's like I messaged all my friends who are still on the Danforth right now parading from 2004 saying what, like, what happened? And all, like, half of them radio silence and the other half are just didn't qualify. Like, it's nothing. Like, what time are you playing at? Like, getting, like, throwing it back in my face. I just, because I, I just know what they're... They love it, right? Like I didn't hear, I like nonstop, and I'm gonna say, "Well, you're you're dual citizen." I'm like, I am, but I can celebrate a win and then move on after that week. They're still talking yeah, about 2004. I, Ziggy, if the Maple <laughs> Leafs win a Stanley Cup, the the partying and the celebration is gonna last for more than a few days. I can tell you, it's gonna be 50 plus years. God only knows when it'll be. It might be 60 or 70 plus years yeah. of just a a release. Right? The partying will will not stop. It will not slow down. James Sharman uh, is going to join us on the other side. We promise we won't make this all about Scotland and North Macedonia. We will break down Euro 2021, which starts later this afternoon in Rome when Italy plays Turkey. And then the three-a-days start bright and early tomorrow morning. Our buddy James Sharman 
of Charmin's Proper Pies and the Footy Prime podcast is with us next. I've been looking forward to this one. I threw it out on Twitter yesterday that that I'm hoping to make a proper wager for the Scotland-England game, which goes at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, one week from today. It'll be the second match in the opening round. And... I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to have some odds because England is gonna be heavily, heavily favored. But we'll get into that and so much more with our buddy James Sharman of the Footy Prime Podcast and of Sharman's Proper Pies. He is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's been a while, James. How are you, pal? I am doing great, fellas. I'm. Uh, I'm excited. It's about time. I think we need this tournament, us football fans and sports fans. So yeah, great to be with you. Yeah, delayed by a year, of course, due to COVID nineteen. This is Euro twenty twenty, being played in twenty twenty one. The betting favorites um, five to one, England and France, and then some of the notable countries uh, fall in just beneath them. I'm not going to ask you who your favorites are because I would imagine they're in line with the odds makers. But if there is an advantage or two or something that is being under discussed that could give uh, one country an advantage over another as we drill further into this thing and it goes along, who do you like coming out of all of it? Well, I must say, I mean, listen, France are deservedly the favorites. They are the most deep. They're the world champions. Um, they might be better than they were at 2018 in Russia. But, you know, I don't think England are second favorites at all. I think I'm really surprised that Portugal aren't getting more love, guys. I think Portugal are, are you know, defending champions. They are much better than they were in 2016 when, of course, they kind of stumbled their way to the final in some regards. And then, listen, deservedly won the thing in the end. But this time around, they got a lot more youth a lot more dynamicism, uh, despite Ronaldo being 36 now. And I really think it comes down to France or it comes down to Portugal. England will probably meet Portugal um, in the in the round of 16, which just terrifies me. Now, I'm half Greek, half Macedonian. Sorry, North Macedonian now. I guess I should change that in my bio. Um, and I jumped on the bandwagon with... When Greece in 2004, but I'm going to go the other way to North Macedonia. What do you think about do? What do you think about jumping on them right now? Do you think they're going to actually score a goal? But this is North Macedonia. People don't realize they actually beat Germany in the last year, right? Germany. Okay. Now Germany's not the team it used to be, right? But North Macedonia are okay. They're not a bad team, and their group. They're in Group C with Netherlands, Ukraine, and Austria, right? That's not a great group necessarily. Now, they're all decent teams. The Dutch in particular are, you know, potentially going to be one of the uh, contenders this year, I think, possibly. Ukraine's pretty good. Austria's very average. Um, so you never know. North Macedonia could could provide a couple of uh, surprises there. I think it's probably unlikely. They'll, they'll probably crash out in the first round. But, you know, it's Euro. Euro, unlike the World Cup, there aren't, really aren't bad teams. They're all half-decent teams, so there should be no embarrassment. So you should be okay there, mate. All right, well, J- James, just so you know, you you probably didn't plan for this, and I would imagine the Footy Prime podcast is not doing a deep, deep dive into North Macedonia's chances here. But <laughs> Thanks, it, you, you are going to get your North Macedonia discussion quota in this morning, oh, I yeah. promise you, because Ziggy's got more to come. What? How many goals? How? What's their over/under goals scored 
goals for in the three games? Oh, boy. Okay, so this is tournament of football, right? So generally speaking, it's pretty pragmatic. Um, and their biggest goal threat, Goran Pandev, who's, who's a legend, is he's in his mid-30s now. Um, okay, I'm going to give you a two. How about that? Three games? That's not bad, actually. I'll give you a two. All right. Well, that's, that's being pretty diplomatic. Okay. So you, we set the you've over, got a set, smile on your face. I no, can't I'm tell just if like, you're what, happy I'm like, what, I'm like, what do we set the over? So we're going to set the over under what I said before at the top of the, when we started said the one, show, and one, one and a half, right? All okay, right. So there you go. Pretty good. Bet the over, right, bet so the over. Two, so two, right. who, who is the strongest group? James. Oh, I mean, group F is, you know, the, the prototypical group of death. It's ridiculous. You have Hungary. Okay. Hungary are, Again, they're, they're a decent team, albeit they're missing their, their superstar after injury, unfortunately. But then you have Portugal, France, and Germany. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And now you have to realize that in this tournament, the four best third-place teams can also advance to the knockout phase, right? That being said, you, you suspect that a lot of these teams in this group will, will take points off each other. So that third-place team may not have enough to, to get through. But yeah, Portugal, France, and Germany... Portugal and France, like I said, uh, for me, they're the two best teams in this tournament. And Germany, you know, listen, they're, they're not what they were. It's very much a, a transitional period for them. Yogi Love, their much-loved and much-maligned recently manager, is, is on the way out. He's leaving off this tournament. Then between the, the kids coming through and the old gods still being there. So Germany might be a flop, but they're still Germany, right? And you know, who'd be surprised if they got out of this group and went on a long run? I, I wouldn't be surprised because that's who they are. That's what they do. But uh, that group is, is as tough a group as I've seen at any championship for a very long time. With James Sharman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Where does Cristiano Ronaldo rank for you among the all-time greats? All-time greats? Wow. I mean, he's way up there, isn't he? I mean, he's in the conversation with, with Pele, with Maradona, with Messi, with Zidane, dare I say it, Ronaldinho. But, yeah, he, he's got to be. I think when we look back, when he does retire in about five years from now, he'd be an absolute freak of nature at 36. Um, he'll, he'll be up there in the handful of best we've ever seen before. I mean, he is such a wonderful footballer with such a hunger and a desire and, and such a physical force perhaps the greatest athlete we've seen ever play the game. So, yeah, that's where I think of him. And, you know, it's funny, I'm a more of a Leo Messi guy personally. So people assume that I hate Ronaldo. I don't hate Ronaldo. I have nothing but respect for the guy. He's incredible. And at 36, he still potentially could win the golden boot at this year's tournament. He won it in the Italian Serie A this season for Juventus. And that's not easy. You know, that's a tough league to score goals in. He scored 29. And, and he's evolved his game over the years. He's not that dynamic you know, beating players one-on-one -on -one that he used to be. But now he's more of a typical number nine center forward, and he's great at it. So, yeah, nothing but respect for, for Ronaldo. And, of course, Messi can't compete. He's Argentine, so he's uh, not involved in, in Euro. This is an international tournament for which he doesn't qualify. But I, I'm, I'm wondering, James, how much more you think Ronaldo has left in the tank. I mean, Euro falls now in 2021. Uh, the World Cup is late next year in Qatar, and then obviously Euro 2024 is is three years away. Would you put it past him uh, to play for Portugal three years from now? I wouldn't put anything past him. I mean, this is Ronaldo, and like I said, he's got that desire and that resilience too that he'll demand. He'll tell them when he's done, right? They, they won't drop him. He'll tell them. That's the kind of... Uh, 
power he's got in that footballing nation. Um, but they've got some good young players coming through. Jao Felix, Andre Silva's very, very good. So there are, there's never going to be another Ronaldo per se, but there's potential replacements in that team, but not just yet. He'll be there next year for sure at Qatar. And, you know, why not? Why not? in the next World Cup after that. Why not the next European Championship? When he's scoring 29 goals, guys, at 36 years of age in the Italian Serie A, he's not close to being done. And the fact that he's changed his game so much and evolved, I think just speaks to the, the guy's footballing intelligence. This tournament's usually held in one country, and this year they're going to go to 11, spread out or spread it out over 11 countries. How will that change the dynamic, make it more interesting, um, tougher on teams, or do you think that there'll be more excitement in the fact that more countries will be able to you know, get a chance to see games? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question, that, because there's so many layers to this. Number one is, okay, we're in a pandemic still. It probably isn't the smartest thing to have all these fans spread around Europe necessarily. Um, but it is what it is. Um, I think it's the future of big sporting events because it's so expensive to put these things on. You can spread the wealth a little bit more, which is good. Um, but it will perhaps lose a little bit, a bit of its soul. It's, it's lovely when you have, you know, one nation hosting a tournament and you get that narrative, be it the Vuvuzelas, be it the Mexican wave, you know, that feeling that that country embraces. So that's different from the footballing standpoint. Some of these big teams will be playing home tournaments, right? England, potentially, say England, you know, I don't think they will, but say England get to the final, they'll play away from Wembley just once, likely, at that point, just once, right? So that's a home tournament. That's huge. Germany, the same way. So Italy play their first three games in Rome at the Stadio Olimpico. So from that standpoint, the home field advantage, albeit, you know, not full capacity stadiums until the semifinals, will be a huge factor, you know, I think one thing out of this pandemic is that the fans around the sportosphere have really been the winners in some weird way because we realize how important they are to the sporting storyline. Um, and, and we're going to see that, I think, at Euro, especially by the semifinals, when there'll be 80,000, 90,000 people at Wembley for both semis and the final. Man, that's going to be something pretty special. With James Sharman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right. I threw it out on Twitter yesterday, and you seem to give me the thumbs up. I want to make a proper wager on Scotland-England next Friday afternoon. Now, I don't think this is an even-up matchup. I would say that my guys are the underdogs here. So I'm wondering what you're willing to, to give me. Are you willing to give me a goal, uh, a goal and a half, I'm trying to negotiate. Be a reasonable okay. man for me, James. What what would be a fair way to even this thing up before we come up with the stakes? Man, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, this. Listen, because this game generally goes against the form book in that England always have the, the greater talent, right? Or perhaps aside from a few years in the 1980s, um, they are by far the more skilled team. They'll be huge favorites. But Scotland have that that resilience, and they really dislike England in this match. These are the old enemies, right? The old enemies. And I've seen matches between these two teams where England should have easily won, but Scotland dug in and got a win. That being said, they haven't won since 1999. Um, overall, 114 times these guys have met. In fact, the first ever international match ever in, in, in soccer was between these two teams. And England have the edge, 48 wins to 41, 25 draws. 
So anything is possible. But you look at the starting 11s, and that's basically purely from a footballing standpoint. You know, England are vastly superior. Not that Scotland don't have talent. Andy Robertson it is fantastic. Kieran Tierney, you know, Scott McTominay at Manchester United, great players. But um, I, I think it's going to be, I'm going to say it's going to be 2-0 England. How about that? Okay, so let's, let's do this. If Scotland loses by a goal, if the game is a, if the match is a draw, or if Scotland wins, are you cool with? I'm a winner. If you if if you guys England win by two or more, you're a winner. Is that a thumbs up? Yeah, that sounds fair to me, Scotty. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So here's the bet. I would like a couple of proper pies if Scotland wins this bet for me. Done. Couple of Charmin's proper pies. I'm willing to yep. offer you a, a two four of your favorite beer, or if you have a better idea, fire it out um, now. I'd say give me a, a, a shift in, in my kitchen, but no, um, <laughs> I, I can't. Think I'll, of, I'll I, wash I some dishes. <laughs> yeah, we need a dishwasher, actually. Um, you know, no, I, I can't think of a better prize than a 2-4, so let's, let's go with that for sure. Okay, so we'll we'll organize it on Twitter based on the result. If uh, you can name your beer online, uh, if, if England wins by two goals or more, if Scotland uh, loses by a goal, or it's a draw or Scotland wins, then I'll uh, I'll make the announcement on our uh, respective Twitter pages, the uh, the couple of po- proper pies that uh, that I'd like. It's always good to hear your voice, pal. Glad we hammered out this bet on the air, and uh, you know we'll be calling on you next week and in the weeks to come as we uh, as we watch the tournament play out. I look forward to it, mate. Yeah, it's going to be a, a really great tournament, and boy, do we need it. So thanks, fellas, anytime. Absolutely, we need it. Absolutely. James Sharman of the uh, Footy Prime podcast and of Sharman's Proper Pies up there on the uh, Danforth near Woodbine. Uh, he's brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Mike Keenan, Stanley Cup winning head coach with the New York Rangers, went to the finals a couple of other times as well with Philadelphia and Chicago. He'll be along in about 15 minutes' time. Marley Rivera makes her Sunday night baseball debut, uh, which you can hear on Sportsnet 590. The fans, she will be part of the call for the Cubs and Cardinals on Sunday night. She'll be along in a half an hour. And up next, Elliot Friedman. It's Vegas, Montreal. It's the Islanders, Tampa Bay. Uh, we'll probably also get into the Leafs and some of the decisions they have to make as well. Elliot Friedman on the other side, but first, here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan Vegas, a six, three winner over Colorado to take that best of seven, four games to two. And so the Vegas golden Knights will host the Montreal Canadians in game one of the Stanley cup semifinals on Monday night. So it's Vegas, Montreal, and it's the Islanders into Tampa Sunday afternoon, a three o'clock puck drop on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. The Blue Jays dropped two out of three in Chicago against the White Sox after last night's 5-2 defeat at the hands of Chicago. The Blue Jays are into Boston now for a wraparound four-game series. Ross Stripling gets the ball. The Blue Jays visit the Red Sox tonight. It's a first pitch a little after 7 o'clock on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 590. The fan NBA playoffs, Milwaukee survives and stays in the series with Brooklyn, an 86-83 victory over the Nets. Brooklyn leads two games to one, and Kawhi has them right where they want them. The Clipper down two games to none yet again. The Jazz, 117-111 winners in game two of that Western Conference second-round matchup. NBA playoffs tonight. 
Uh, it's the 76ers into Atlanta to take on the Hawks. Series tied a game apiece. Phoenix, with a two-games-to-none series lead, are into Denver to take on the Nuggets. Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada, the NHL on Sportsnet, and 31 Thoughts, both the podcast and the blog, uh, with us now for his weekly hit. Good morning, sir. Um, we talked about potentially lighting up the CN Tower in your honor, but we didn't know your preferred colors, so we didn't do it. <laughs> you know what? Just bland and gray, I think, would probably fit me very well. No, 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 no. We've seen your dress. You're, you're, you're a trendsetter. You're a bit of a fashionista these days. You're, you're pushing. Yeah, maybe fuchsia. Fuchsia. I like it. Yeah, we'll go fuchsia. Um, on the uh, on the CN Tower LED lights. Listen, Elliot, um, if you're the Colorado Avalanche this morning, having had a two-games-to-none yeah. series lead and then losing four consecutive, a good team was going home. We knew that, right? Golden Knights yeah. or Avs, a good team was going home. But if you're the Colorado Avalanche this morning, what are you thinking? Well, you're, you're incredibly disappointed. I mean, all you had to do was listen to McKinnon and Bednar last night to know exactly what they're thinking. Um, you know, the the good team is going home thing. Like these were the two teams who are right at the top of the league is right, but it doesn't make you feel any better. It's, it's no consolation. Nobody's going to sit there and say, hey, you know, the two best teams in the league in the regular season, or two of them anyway, were – we're sitting there going, okay, um, you know, this is the second round and we've just got to understand that one of us is going home. That's, that's not occurring here. As you said, they're up to nothing. They look to be in control of the series. They lost four games in a row. Um, but look at the way they did it. Like game five up to nothing going into the third period, losing overtime last night, score a goal on the first shift of the game, give it up a minute later. Um, you know, these are not ways that, you know, good teams are, are, are supposed to lose. You know, the, one of the things I was thinking about last night is, you know, you, you take a look at what, what do the four teams have in common? Um, you know, maybe people argue that Varlamov is a bit outside this, but you're looking at at least three of the four teams with elite goaltending. Uh, you know, Fleury is a Vesna nominee. Vasilevsky won it and, and has another shot at it. Um, you know, price is price. And Varlamov is above average. He's very good. But the other thing, too, is at a time where, at least in the regular season, we're moving into, you know, mobile, not power defenses, uh, we're looking at four teams that have big, strong, in some cases really skilled, but generally big, strong defenses, and they play that way. They throw their weight around. And I think it just shows you, I don't know if there's a league around where the regular season and the playoffs are more different. And, you know, people talk, okay, the officiating. I don't think it's as much the officiating as it's the mentality of the players. I, I really do. I will. I argue this all the time. I don't think there's a sport around where the mentality changes in the players more from regular season to playoffs than the hockey does. Yeah, we're chatting on our, our coaching group chat with UFT saying what's like the one thing you can notice about the final four teams, and it's they defend really well. Like there's no there's no real secret. Um, 
the only thing is going forward now with, you know, you're going into the semis is, is can you score goals? And if you look at Tampa Bay and, and Vegas, I think they have to be the two favorites. How do you think the Canadians will fare against the high powered offense uh, like the Golden Knights? First of all, Ziggy, if I want great coaching insight, I'll listen to the Western <laughs> coaching chat. Okay, not the U of T one. All the guys are listening right now, Elliot. You just got oh, yourself yeah. into They're trouble. They're all listening for oh, yeah. sure. Oh, keep going. Uh, uh, it's okay. You know what? I, I got no problem with that. We understand purple superiority. Um, you know, I look. I, I agree with you. First of all, the funny thing is, so as the as the game was ending last night, and I was preparing to um, go get go on for the post game hit, I got a call from a buddy who lives in Montreal, and you know, I, I pick, normally I wouldn't pick it up, but it was kind of a strange time for someone to call me, so I just figured I'd better check it. And he says to me, "You know, who are you picking in the next round?" I'm like, "What?" He goes, "Who are who are you picking, us or Vegas?" And before I could even say anything, he goes, you're not allowed to pick us. And I'm, I'm going, what? And he says, you, you Sportsnet guys, you've been off the bandwagon. All you picked the Leafs, all you picked the Jets. You're not allowed to pick us. You can't jump on the bandwagon now. Mm-hmm. So I just said, let me get this straight. You just called me right when I'm about to go on the air to tell me I'm not allowed to pick the Canadians. And he goes, yes. I go, okay, if it means that much to you, I won't pick the Canadians. But – you know, look, I, I, I agree with you. I think Vegas and Tampa are the favorites. I think they're um, incredible teams, one of them defending champion. But nobody gets here by fluke, right? Um, you know, like the, uh, before I get to the Canadians, you know, the Islanders, they're, they're the ultimate team. They have that mentality. I, like, I never bet against the Islanders. If, if they're playing, I either bet them or I don't bet. Um, because I just think they play the same way all the time. They're committed to their identity. They're really smart and really disciplined. They believe in who they are. And, you know, they're scoring a ton. Um, I think they're going to give Tampa all they can handle. I just think Tampa is so good, right? Um, like I, I, like, I don't like to bet against the Islanders, but I don't like to pick against the Lightning. I just think the Lightning are so good and so deep. Like the biggest, like they're committed to who they are too, especially in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I just think, you know, the, the Islanders, the key is they don't take a ton of penalties. The way Tampa's uh, playoffs are going, that's the Islanders' key to beating them. As long as they stay out of the penalty box, I think they can give Tampa all they can handle five on five. But what we're seeing right now is if you give Tampa power plays, you lose. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about the Islanders first is, I think the Canadians in the playoffs have become Islanders light. I think what they've done is they've found an identity that works for them and they're committed to it. They remind me a lot of the Islanders right now. They, you know, they, they're very disciplined in the playoffs in terms of the system they play. They're committed to it. Um, they make it very tough for you to get through them. And at, at, at behind them, they have Price. And Price has been a hoover during the playoffs. It amazes me how few good second and third chances, especially Winnipeg got against Price. They, he was either smothering the puck or he was pushing it into a place where it, it couldn't hurt them. Like, it, it, Or the Canadian defense was clearing it. It was just – it was excellent. And – they have really high skill forwards 
who if you I mean the the, the fourth game against Winnipeg they dominated the shots were something like forty to sixteen, but in a lot of these other games they were getting outshot or outchanced. But if you gave them an opportunity to Foley was scoring, or or uh, Suzuki was scoring, or Kakanyemi was scoring, and I think the Canadians have committed to this the way of playing, and they're very disciplined at it. I just look at Vegas and I'm like. Holy smokes, they just won four in a row against Colorado in games they could and probably should have lost. And, you know, I, I told my buddy, it's if you don't want me to pick Montreal, that's fine. I saw Vegas last night at the end of the game as like a minus 450 favorite. That is a huge favorite. I think that's a little disrespectful to Montreal but I don't think there's any doubt Vegas is the favorite in the series. Well, Siggy was saying earlier in the in the program, I, I agree 100%. I, it will be fascinating to see how the Habs play, presuming it happens, when they do trail in a game in this series. Like it's been huge at for some them. Point in, they're gonna at have some to. point in time, they're going to have to be losing. They have not yes. been trailing since they skated off the ice, 4 nothing losers in game four to the Maple Leafs. Yeah, well, that's a heck of a run, man. But and and then that will bring back the narrative if they fall behind in a game early and don't come back about their apparent inability to score goals. Well, like, yeah, we know where this will all go. Well, losing their confidence is a big thing for me. Like the fact that th things have been going so well now for so many games is that once that goal goes in or the penalty kill gives up two or three or they get blown out in the first game. Like that's what I'm concerned about for the Habs. I, I don't, I don't think you lose your confidence now unless you're like really down. Like I can't see Montreal lose. Like let's just say for argument's sake, they lose game one and they lose, I don't know, whatever you want to say bad is. I just mm -hmm. don't see Montreal losing their confidence in that situation. I think, I think they've had too much success and too much understanding of who they are. And as long as they stick to what they're going to stick to, I think they'll say, yeah, that one stunk, but we've still got Carey Price and we've been, you know, really good. I think one of the key things is, you know, is, you know, Ducharme said the other day, we're getting Petrie back. We just don't know what game it is. Well, since he said that, they're going to have four more days, right? So you've got to think you, there's a decent chance they have Petrie for game one. I think that's really important. Obviously, he's a, He's a really good player, and I know he was on some Norris ballots this year. Um, you know, I think that's key, but I just don't see the Montreal, the way they've gotten there, for argument's sake, if they get blown out in game one, I don't see them just folding over. I, I think they're too good and too strong for that. With Elliot Friedman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So circling back to Colorado, because when teams lose in the playoffs, then, then it's mm -hmm. the postmortem and, and what comes up. They got a couple of UFAs, but but the one who obviously stands out is Gabriel mm -hmm. Landeskog. Where he's their captain, heart and soul of the team, et cetera, et cetera. Very good hockey player, needless to say. How do you think that all plays out? Well, I always like to say, okay, let's look at the biggest contract and move from there. I actually think the biggest decision they probably have is Makar. Not that he's going anywhere, but in in terms of what of what the number is going to be, right? Like if you're doing long-term for Makar, I think that's a really big number. Eight? So the, 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 what's that? Eight, eight a year. I'm, I, I you know what? I'm, uh, I think that I, I, uh, probably, Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, like the, depending on what the player asks for, 
and what the team is willing to do. I mean, I think I think if you're doing eight years from a car, you could consider the possibility it could be there. Absolutely. Um, but so I think the biggest question that you're looking at is, okay, is Macar short or long? And if it's long, what's that number? I think the Avalanche would love to do term. But like I said, it's a big number and it affects everything else you do. I think there's a lot of loyalty to Landis God, obviously. I think they consider him a huge part of their team, obviously. Um, I think that um, he's probably, he's a huge priority for them. But I, I look at their salary structure, and I know, and also don't forget McKinnon's coming up soon. So I think the two biggest numbers on their salary structure are going to be McKinnon and Makar. So I think that, like, unless Grubauer is really willing to take a haircut, I, I, I don't know how they can make it fit. Um, but I, and I think Landeskog, I have no doubt they want to sign him. I have no doubt they want to give him everything they can possibly give him. I think that. He's like going to be like Hyman in the sense that he probably gets more on the open market than he gets in Denver. But I think the biggest questions are what do they think the numbers are for Makar and McKinnon? Is there any level of frustration in Colorado's organization similar to Toronto in the fact that, okay, oh, I we, think so. should, we should be winning it and we're out again in the second round? Yes, I, I, there has to be. I mean, look, yeah. like, like I said, if you listen to McKinnon last night and you listen to Bednar last night, that's exactly what they're thinking. Yeah, That's yeah. that's exactly what they're thinking. And, you know, I, I don't know if there's – I don't know if disrespect is the right word, but I heard Vegas – like if you listen to Peter DeBoer after early in the, early in the series, he had a quote saying, you know, we we know how to beat these guys. We're going to be okay. And it was like, I I think to be successful in the playoffs, Mike, and and you played and now you coached a very high level, you need that arrogance, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to, you have to have that, that like, it was such an arrogant thing to say and, but they backed it up. And I think you need that arrogance. Right. And, and I think that's, that's a big part of who Vegas is like, I know like there's a lot of like, yeah, yeah, we're in our fourth year. Who gives a bleep? We're, we're going to beat you. And, but the thing is, I think they knew that they could, I think they really did believe obviously that they could do it. And, um, you know, I, I think Colorado is going to be looking at this going, you know, this is, this one's going to hurt. And, you know, like I said, I, I think the one thing I'm looking at and, I know, I'm really trying to be like I'm really trying to be careful with small sample sizes. I, I realize the playoffs have, have a bit more randomness, but the thing is, I don't like it whenever people say like the Billy Bean way of the playoffs are all luck. I really hate that. I think it, I think it's people taking themselves off the hook. I think in a four out of seven series, at the level of compete level, the way the Stanley Cup playoffs are played, I don't believe it's all luck. I, I believe that there's there is a big part of it that is will. And I don't, I don't think, you know, four out of sevens, I don't think there's very many flukes. I think generally the team that deserves to win wins. And I, I'm looking at, again, the, like the way that these defense cores are built on these teams that are going to the final four. And I just think of the way the playoffs change. And I, I sure Colorado is thinking about it like Toronto is. It's like that, you know, hey, 
our, our, we have really good and talented players here and we're a really good team, but do we have to find a bit more of that edge that you need in the postseason? They traded Ian Cole this year. It wasn't something they really wanted to do, but it was something they felt they had to do for their roster. You know, Eric Johnson was hurt. I think they, Eric Johnson's a big part of the culture of that team. I, I wonder if they had one, if not two of those guys. I mean, like, you know, if, uh, you know, like, I know it's a lot of ifs and it's not why they lost, but I wonder if they look at that and say, boy, like maybe one or two of those guys would have made a difference. And I think a lot of teams are going to look at this and say, you know, hey, do, do we have, quote unquote, a regular season blue line? or a playoff blue line. And that does that matter for us? Why am I thinking of the Leafs when I hear you say that sentence? Um, and I, and I yeah. felt, I felt like I had to say that uh, because we we spared you of your sanity having to talk about the Maple Leafs this morning, but we did need to reach a quota. So we'll, we'll leave it there, Elliot. And I, I promise you all. We call ha- that the MacArthur pain yeah. index. We were too low. <laughs> the MPI, the MPI. I promise you I, I, there will be all the Zach Hyman conversation you can handle one week from today. Plus whatever else comes up. Thanks, pal. <laughs> have a great weekend. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada, the NHL on Sportsnet. And 31 Thoughts, both the uh, podcast and the blog. We pivot now. Uh, to a friend of the show. He is a former NHL head coach, Stanley Cup champion, 1994 New York Rangers, also took Philadelphia and Chicago teams to the finals. You jumping in, Zig? Well, we ha- and we both have something in common. We both coached in the same, I coach and he coached in the same organization, University of Toronto, right? Well, there we, there <laughs> we go. I mean, the torch gets passed. Here is Mike Keenan. One former U of T guy to a current U of T assistant coach. You guys can have a have a conversation. Mike, how are you this morning? I'm doing super. How about you guys? We're 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 doing very well. Ziggy's hoping to uh, turn it into a long NHL head coaching career, uh, just just like you did. Uh, we do a segment called go. called Something to Chew On, brought to you by Great Canadian Meat, and I'll throw it right at you here, Mike. If you were Dominic Ducharme, if you were the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, you. Uh, don't have to feel this way in your own locker room, but I think everybody on the outside of it presumes you to be a relatively significant underdog heading into the Stanley Cup semifinals against Vegas. Uh, what's your message, and how are you trying to play the Golden Knights? Well, I don't think there's a, there's a, a problem being an underdog. And sorry, I got a real raspy throat this morning, but, um, you know, when you're in the Final Four, and and I was in the final four many times, even before we went to Stanley Cup Finals in Chicago, twice. Uh, it's a, it's an opportunity, and regardless of uh, how it is perceived by the public, by the media, by the fans, you have an opportunity, and you never know how it's going to unfold. I mean, you go to the goaltending in Montreal; it's exquisite. So you know you've got an anchor to begin with. And then you've got some experienced playoff people, playoff players, winners. You go into a building that's electric. Uh, you know, you're going to face a lot of energy. But uh, I just always viewed it as an opportunity to, to succeed. And, you know, in Chicago, we went to the Final Four twice. We got beat both times by Stanley Cup winners, Calgary and, and Edmonton. 
but we learned a great deal about it, and then we finally went to the, the finals and, and played Pittsburgh in the Stanley Cup. So Montreal's got a great uh, situation, nothing to lose, go in there, play loose, and then there's a lot of factors involved. There's injuries, there's travel, there's uh, you know overconfidence by another team. So there's a lot of factors that come into play. And we had Brand Bellows on the show earlier. We were talking about uh, in the playoffs. I think this is a big deal that doesn't get enough airtime. Is what do you do when you have a big layoff between one series to the next? How do you keep a team prepared to make sure you're ready for that game one? Again, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing because you can stay healthy, you can stay uh, ready, you can practice. Uh, and build out your system even to more details, um, and and you can energize. You know, I mean, at this point, they're all excited. The Final Four, Montreal Canadiens, they're excited. They're representing their country as well, and they're not going to have any problem uh, getting energized and, and getting into Game One at all. Mike Keenan is our guest on Leadoff Sportsnet Five Ninety, the Fan. Man, Lou Lamarillo just keeps getting it done wherever he goes. Barry Trotz is into the final four for the third time in four seasons, dating back to the cup win in Washington. This is a rematch of a semifinal from last year, Tampa Bay and New York. How do you break that one down, Mike? Two different, two teams that play very different ways, obviously. They do. Uh, yeah. Great comment about uh, two very experienced uh, people. Lou in his mid seventies now, and and uh, uh, you know the coaching staff in Islanders have done a, a terrific job. But I I like Tampa, I like the way they're built. I like that they have the pedigree of winning. They're defending champions. Always tough to knock off a, a defending champion. And Tampa has all the pieces as far as I'm concerned. And the other part of it is for Tampa Vasilevsky. I coached in Russia, and we coached. I coached a series against him. He was just a boy at the time, and we beat them. But he was unbelievable, and he still continues to mature and get better. And now he's, he's in my mind, probably the top NHL goaltender. So, How hard is it to get a team over the hump? We we were just discussing the Colorado Avalanche, you know, getting knocked out three years in a row now in the second round, and they're obviously one of the cup favorites. Uh, our own Toronto Maple Leafs here can't seem to get out of the first round. What's something these organizations or co- coaches can do to kind of get their organizations or teams over that hump? Well, I think if you reflect back on the teams that uh, I was involved with and I built – uh, we built them for playoffs, not for regular season. And even the year we won the Stanley Cup, I know there was a lot of discussion and, and a lot of head scratching when we trade so many players at the trading deadline. I went to Neil Smith and the organization said, we can't win the Stanley Cup. We're in first place overall, President's Trophy, but we cannot win the Stanley Cup with this team. It's from experience. I've been there already four times. And from that, for that reason, and if I, I said, you you have to retool this team now. If we want our objective is to win the cup, we have to retool it now. And the you just uh, mentioned the Maple Leafs and Colorado—they're not built for the cup. I'm sorry for saying that, but they're not. 
the management that was with three tools. All right, uh, Mike's Mike's cell phone is cutting out, which is oh, which is it's unfortunate because like he was best parts. I know he was. It always ha- it always happens. He was going down a really good and interesting track, and I, I'm hearing well, him talk about the '94 Rangers. One of the key moves they made in season, Ziggy, was a trade with the Leafs. They got Glenn Anderson, who'd won all those cups with Gretzky in Edmonton, and was part of that '93 Maple Leafs team that went to the Campbell Conference Final lost to the Kings. They got Glenn Anderson for Mike Gartner. Mm-hmm. And Mike Gartner was a 500-plus career goal scorer, right? Like, great goal scorer. Yeah. And he, he's the fir- first coach to coach two teams, take two teams to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I think Mike Babcock did it after him, but he went in 87 with against the, Flyers. the Oilers. Yeah, with, the, with Flyers, the Flyers. And then, yep. and then 94, obviously. So, uh, yeah, it's... You know, he's a couple of buddies have played for him and love playing for him and have some great stuff. Oh yeah. No question. <laughs> but we, you know, always he, he, he'd get every single ounce out of you. I mean, all the great, all the coaches that have coached for a long time, they take what they have and they squeeze the most out of every player and they make players better. Some guys rise to the challenge. They step out of that comfort zone and become better players and some don't, but I think, you know, as a coach, you want to know, and you have to push your players. And that's why he was one of the greatest coaches, you know, Mike of all time. Well, we'll just get him a cell phone next time because he's always got awesome insight. Mike Keenan, former NHL head coach. Up next, Marley Rivera, one of our great friends. Always appreciate her insight. A huge night in Marley's career is coming up on Sunday. Each and every Sunday, You hear ESPN Sunday Night Baseball broadcast on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Marley will be in the booth on Sunday night. We'll talk to her about that. The fact it's Cubs-Cardinals, one of the great rivalries in baseball. We'll get into pitchers doctoring the baseballs in the state of the American League East. Marley Rivera, next. Been looking forward to this conversation all morning because she's a great friend of the show. Always appreciate her baseball insight, but she's got a big, big deal happening on Sunday night. The Chicago Cubs and St. Louis Cardinals will play on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, which also is heard here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And Marley Rivera will be part of the broadcast booth for that game on Sunday night. Congratulations, Marley. This yeah, is this exciting. is awesome news. Awesome news. You must be so excited. I am. I really am. First of all, good morning, and I'm so sorry that it's taken me so long to rejoin your show. It's been a couple of uh, crazy weeks, so I'm just really happy to be on with you guys. And thank you for the congratulations. Uh, Scott, as you well know, knowing me for so long, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with making a calls about myself. So how about we move on and talk a little baseball? <laughs> no, sorry. Well, no, 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 no. No, I just, I just no. need to lock it down. I do. do that. I just be like, thank you. Great. Have a great day. Okay. How about we talk a little, uh, you know, now. <laughs> no, I just want to say no pressure, but yeah. we will be listening and we expect to hear some thank cub you. comes, cubs homerism. 
That's that's all I was going to say. All I was going to say, just Cubs homerism, you know? Well, yeah, well, we know we know where you stand on the Cubs. We know where you stand on the Cleveland Browns. So uh, <laughs> I'll do my best to uh, to chat with Mr. Bookshambi as, you know, the new voice of the Cubs, which is, I mean, I'm, I'm beyond excited about this opportunity. Um, a lot of you guys have heard me before know my background and I come from nothing, right? And I come from Puerto Rico and it's like to get this opportunity as a Puerto Rican woman that aspired, you know, to do this uh, one day, it's really, it's really special. It took a very, very long time, but you know what? Sometimes you, if you stay in the path of your dreams, they, they may just come true. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful story and we congratulate you again. Um, Thank you. As, as we have discussed before, I, I don't think there's anybody in baseball media who is more plugged in to the Latin American community and Latin American players than you. So I'm going to frame it this way. How okay. old was Vladdy Jr. Jr. <laughs> when you first met him? He was seven. <laughs> there's actually oh a goodness. picture. There actually, there's, a, there's an actual picture that exists, which uh, Vladdy has told me about. I've never seen it, so I don't know if this is real. But um, he said, Marley, there's a picture of me and him like just him just standing next to me uh, with his dad. So um, it gets a little scary. And obviously I know you're, you're coming from, from the point that um, there was this poll, online poll that said, please mention the one sports moment that makes you feel old. <laughs> and my number one one was the MLB debut of Vlad Guerrero Jr. <laughs> that one really, really high. It ranks very high. Yeah, it's always scary when you start covering the kids of – yeah, it's 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 horrible. I mean, let's 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 be the next class, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard it. We know what the Blue Jays bring to the table, right? We know the Bobichets and the Kevin Biggios, but I mean, there's Key Brian Hayes, there's you know the son of Charlie Hayes, like it's really this Des Cameron, the son of Mike Cameron. These are names that that people that people actually know. Like I think that's really interesting because, for example, Aaron Boone, right? Like not everyone knows his dad. But now we're hearing names of people who were Hall of Famers, people who were great players, and it just really makes you feel really sad. I thought that covering managers that were former players was bad. <laughs> this is just, it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, Char Charlie Hayes, did he not catch the pop-up that clinched oh. the World Series Game <laughs> 6 against Atlanta in 96, the first of the uh, four Daddy, that the Yankees Daddy, won? Talking. The yeah. kids don't know what you're talking about. They re the kids really don't know. <laughs> no, they don't. Well, they, they need to do deeper dives on YouTube, do their homework uh, just a little bit. So, I mean, on Vladdy, we've yeah. had you on in the past when, when things weren't going as swimmingly, and, and you very kindly reminded us that he's 20 years old, he's 21 years old. It, it takes some time. I got to tell you, Marley, I, I don't think that there's anything better that reinforces hard work and approach than than the successful results of hard work and approach so if i'm vladdy whatever i did last off season i'm doing again this off season and i'm just moving forward with it because i'll tell you i i don't know if there's a better first baseman in terms of all around production he's been wonderful defensively as well i don't know if there's yeah. a better first baseman in baseball right now now, let's be very fair, and you know, everyone here knows that I have a personal relationship with that family, so I have a very special connection, but I can completely remove myself from that and be very objective. I agree with you. We also have one of the weakest first basemen's class ever, so we have to be very careful with the comparison. This is one of those first baseman classes that you look at it, and from the top of your head, I'm going to ask you to mention a couple of great first basemen active in the game right now, 
And that is a very, very difficult answer. So that doesn't take anything away from Vlad Guerrero Jr. and what he has accomplished, but he also does not have a lot of competition in the position. And you're, and you're absolutely right. I mean, what he has done to sort of reinvent his career, not really reinvent it at 20-something, right, at 22, but at this point, I think the best thing that could have happened to Vladi is have a terrible year really, really early in your career and be humbled by it. And it's really impressive to watch. What are your thoughts on all the news that's coming out with the spider tack and Pete Alonzo <laughs> talking about the juice balls? Like, are the, is there any kind of connection between the pitchers using the stuff and it coming out now and the fact that, okay, are they deadening the balls? What are, uh, what are your takes so far? Well, Ziggy, we know – I actually, when I heard Pete Alonso, I went in because I'm a complete, my middle name is nerd. And I went inside and I started to look at all the names and everything like that. He has an argument, right? But I am going to counter argue. And it's really interesting. Now, let's be very clear. MLB and the MLBPA have a lot of issues. These players have a lot of distrust. And that's precisely where Pete Alonso's words are coming from. Like, that's exactly what's happening. It is that, you know, we can talk about, you know, deep fakes and conspiracy theories and, and fake news. But in the end, this is about a rift between the union and MLB, right, going into a CBA year, into a collective bargaining agreement year. So I was looking at the classes, right? And we know that Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Bumgarner, right, Wheeler, Ryu, were all free agents when they, quote, unquote, deadened the ball, as you mentioned. Right. And there were that class that had Anthony Rendon, uh, Josh Donaldson, Nick Castellanos, among others that were the ones that were the hitters. But if you look at the 21-22 pitchers class, I have done this for a very long time. I don't want to say the years. I have never seen a free agent class of pitchers that is that impressive. Now, they're all old school. They all have like just they're based on their resume. But I'm just going to mention some of the names that are going to be free agents. Scherzer, Verlander. Grenke, Kluber, Syndergaard, Kenley Jansen, Andrew Miller, Adam Aravino, Kirby Yates. I mean, it's really, really impressive. I understand Peter Alonso's point, right? Peter Alonso is going to be a free agent alongside quite a few. You know, it's, he's defending his own players, right? The Michael Conforters of the world and, you know, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story. This is just such an impressive class, but we have to be careful and recognize this for what it is. It is a risk between the union and Major League Baseball. Well, Pete Alonso is also going into his first year of arbitration eligibility. Yes. Right? Exactly. So, and and what gives, when I looked at Pete Alonso's statistics, and obviously last year was a short year and he hit 53 home runs in his rookie year of 2019, he's, he's having a very nice offensive year. He's not on pace yes, to hit 50, <laughs> but it's not like he's got sour grapes because he's been crap for two months. So, and not only that, there are people doing really, really well out there, Scotty. Too. But yeah, the, <laughs> the other angle, though, and Marley, you you'd have as as much or, or or more insight on this than certainly I would. And and tell me, I'm wearing a tinfoil hat, if you want to. <laughs> but in the last CBA negotiation, I think the league was able to exploit some of the divide. Oh, yeah. Between the desires of the Latin American ball players, there was a lot of chat about an international draft. It felt like we were at Jose Bautista's locker every second day asking for his insight on 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 that. The needs and desires of the Latin American players versus the North American um, or, or 
continental-born players, if you will. I wonder right now if part of this is some sort of attempt by the league to divide the players, Hmm. hitters, (laughs) positional guys versus Hmm. pitchers. I am going to tell you no. And the reason why I'm going to tell you this is very, very simple. I have spoken to a lot of players about this. Obviously, this was all before the spider tag and whatever sticky substances uh, discussions, right? And I have never seen, and I've seen uh, now this is my third CBA, I have never seen the players more united. And the reason why I'm saying that, and I know what you mean, Scott, and, and things are going to come out, but the reason why I'm saying that is it tends to be about money, and we know that. And the players got hit so hard precisely by what you said in the last CBA, right? Major League Baseball took advantage of, of some loopholes. Not only loopholes, actually the fact that the players wanted things that were about personal benefits, such as, you know, limited uh, press you know, hours inside the clubhouse or more off days and having not many, so many late games on certain days. So they looked at quality of life, and they got a lot of quality of life aspects and lost on the business side. And the most important thing for the players now is get back on on the business side. And the only thing they care about is making back all that money. I think that money speaks, and I think that spider tech ain't going to get in the middle of that. Garrett Cole denying the use. Garrett Cole denying the use of of uh, of spider tack. It's the what greatest you- non yes yes in the history of the world, Marley. What like if he would have if he would have if he would have come out and said yes, I've been doing it and everybody's been using it. Would how bad would that have been? The problem is, and and I'm going to be very careful here because Garrett Cole has been very he he's been maligned by this, and I think in a weird way it's been unfair. And I understand why Garrett Cole stood there and didn't give a straight answer because he didn't want to do the Congress thing of lying straight up. And the one thing that Garrett Cole was doing is because he is part of the executive committee of the union, which means that whatever Garrett Cole says matters a lot more than whatever any other player says because Major League Baseball can use it against the players in the next CBA. That's precisely what happens. He is represent- he is a voice of the players. So he was caught off guard, which I'm surprised by because he's an extremely smart man and very prepared for these things. He was caught off guard with this direct question, and that is not the forum. This is what he said uh, the following day to answer those questions, and it's because of his membership in that executive committee. Now the layperson, right, the fan, doesn't know that. Just sees him there and sees him fumble the answer to this question, and he did, and then it looks really, really bad. The reality is, and this is not my words, these are Aaron Judges and Charlie Blackman who actually really matter, that 90, 95% of the pitchers in the league do it, right? And Garrett Cole, obviously, we assume has been a part of that, but it is everybody. So to single out Garrett Cole is slightly unfair, and he was, you know, what Josh Donaldson told us, I was, I was in Minneapolis, just got back last night, was that he singled out Garrett Cole because he was the first pitcher to have that diminish, right, like the rotations, diminished rotations after the suspensions. And Josh Donaldson alleges, right, that 12, 16 pitchers or so also have gone through that since then. So he just pointed that out. So I just feel like Garrett, in his non-denial, it really was an uncomfortable moment and so on. But in the bigger, in the grand scheme of things, it is unfair uh, to point Garrett Cole as sort of a scapegoat or a patsy. Uh, Marley, we're right up against the clock, so so we will let you go uh, with another congratulations. Sunday Night Baseball, which we'll be able to hear here in Toronto on Sportsnet 590, the fan, Cubs and Cardinals. You'll be part of the broadcast. Jays and Yankees in Buffalo next week. 
Man, the, the the mood around that Yankees team can't be a happy one. They're three games above 500. They're not quite there with Tampa Bay and Boston, at least not yet. So we'll have to delve into those topics uh, the next time Absolutely. we have you on, and hopefully it'll be a very, very soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Marley Rivera of ESPN. By the way, breaking news out of Boston, and I've got Fluto Shinzawa, who works for the Athletic Boston, covering the Bruins. I've got his Twitter account up. Tuka Rask, torn labrum in his hip, mm-hmm. will have surgery within the month. And that is yeah. a tough injury for anybody. A yeah, tough a injury tough for a goalie. For, well, you, we knew he was battling something, right? And that's what it was. Um, yeah, I've had I've had the right labrum hip surgery, and I don't. I, I think it, it took me years to come back from. I, I couldn't even skate on the ice. I can't imagine playing a net with something like that. I was getting injections every couple weeks. Like it's it's pretty bad. It, yeah, tough schedule in the playoffs too. You're playing every other night, maybe a couple back to backs. Like, yeah, tough situation for Rask. I, I don't think this is the end of him. I think he'll move on, but. I don't think this is the end of him. Too Um, good of a goaltender. Let's see what Silent Vic has cooked up for the drop on the way out the door. I believe there are some options this morning. Let's hope he doesn't let us down. Good show is next. We are back at 6 o'clock on Monday morning. Have a wonderful weekend. Maybe, you know, just f*** it. What?